0: Hello again, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Political Beats. Presentation of National Review, you can find us on Twitter at Political underscore Beats. Also, subscribe to our feed for new episodes. You get them right to you via iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn, or head right to nationalreview.com. Click on the podcast tab and then find us and all the other fine podcasts National Review has to offer. We invite you to listen, enjoy, share and leave reviews. Political Beats, the show where we talk with people in and around the world of politics uh, about no politics whatsoever, but only about music and our guest's chosen band or artists. Uh, My name is Scott Bertram. Find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. My tag team partner standing by, as always, Jeff Blair. Jeff, how you doing?
1: Eh, I don't know, Scott. I'm I'm not really living. I'm I'm just killing time.
0: That sounds bleak. Will it get brighter as we go along. Oh, uh, given the subject of this show, probably not. Okay. Sounds good. Find Jeff on Twitter, at EsotericCD. And uh, we welcome in our guest for this episode of Political Beats. Uh, she is national political correspondent for Time and a CNN political analyst. You can find her on Twitter, at Molly Esk. She is Molly Ball. Molly, thank you for joining us here on Political Beats.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm I'm thrilled to be a part of this
0: uh, we thank you for uh, the time and willingness to join us and talk. Uh, before we get to the uh, the band and begin that discussion, we always like to introduce our audience to uh, the person we're talking to and ask the question: How did you get involved in the great wide world of politics?
2: Well, I was a general assignment reporter, and the job that came open was covering politics. So I've always thought of myself as a a writer, a storyteller, a journalist first, and a political nerd second. Uh, and that's how I happened into it. But clearly something clicked because umpteen years later, I'm still doing it.
0: <laughs> and uh, we now bring us, it now brings us to uh, the band, which again, people know if they've clicked on the episode, obviously, but now we... The big reveal uh, today. We discuss. Uh, uh, well, Jeff will tell you more, but I, I believe it's safe to say you know his favorite band that we could talk about on the show. Uh, Molly's choice as well. And uh, we're talking off here. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been 25 years now that they've been on the scene with the virtually the, the same lineup for the whole time. We've had a, a couple of those bands in recent uh, the recent episodes, and that is Radiohead. Uh, and we turn our floor to Molly for a little bit about why you love Radiohead how you got into them and why anybody else should care about this old band.
2: Yeah, well, so uh, back in I guess it would have been nineteen ninety two, there was this hit single called Creep. And I don't how did we even find out about music in those days, right? It probably it must have been the video or it was the M T
1: V and Beavis and Butthead. I remember <laughs> seeing it on Beavis and Butthead.
2: That's I didn't watch Beavis and Butthead, but there was definitely there was there was MTV and there was uh, the, the burgeoning genre of alternative rock radio had just come on the scene as well. But, the, but what I would do if there was a song that I liked is I would go to the record store and buy a cassette tape single <laughs> uh, because even CDs were newish technology at that point. And so I bought the cassette single of Creep thinking it was kind of a cool song. Um, and then the B side of that single was Faithless the Wonder Boy which is this curious little song almost a joke like the it sort of hinges on on a weird little pun in fact i think it was years before i could figure out exactly what the lyrics were and the structure is kind of like creep it starts out kind of melodic and lyrical and then all of a sudden crash guitars big chorus Just got me, and then Pablo Honey came out, and just I just knew that this was my favorite band, and, and I have, have not wavered in the ensuing decades. Um, but what's been amazing has been, I I believe and will strongly defend the idea that all of the seeds of what made Radiohead so great you can find there in Pablo Honey and in the B sides of the of the singles from Pablo Honey. But they just kept getting more interesting and more complicated, right? And so, at the same time, I was getting more interesting and more complicated. I was growing up. I was 14 when when Pablo Honey came out, and so even as my tastes were growing more sophisticated and I was appreciating different things, whether it was you know synthesizers and more electronic stuff or different uh, musical inventions, that that's where the band was exploring too. That's where they were expanding uh, their sensibility and 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 uh, their aesthetic. So, um, you know, what can you say about Radiohead that hasn't been said? I I, I feel like a terrible hipster saying I was into them before they were big. And (laughs) uh, but but uh, there's nothing like them. And I think about so many bands belong to a genre, and you can see their influence in so many other bands that are. Sort of a poor man's version i don't even know of a poor man's version of radiohead i just don't think anyone has even attempted to really do what they do because because they are so unique they have such a unique musical voice um and my my big picture thesis about radiohead which goes along with the pablo honey idea is that i think at, at their core they're a pop band they are i've always appreciated music that was strongly melodic and they there is a real melodic sensibility to i think the best. Radiohead songs at the same time as they bring this really unique musical imagination to it and take melodies in different directions. It still has the bones of a pop song, and I think the the sort of soul of a pop band. And then there's the the lyrical sensibility, the that 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 obviously came out of a particular time and place, uh, but that's never stopped feeling relevant. That the combination of of alienation, whether it's from uh, consumer culture, or just mass society, um, and I guess now we would call it late capitalism, right? Uh, but the combination of that alienation with a real sense of beauty, a sense of transcendence, uh, taking you to a place that I feel like my favorite poets do this too, right? That you're grounded in in the gritty details of uh, of, of a strange and sometimes cruel world, but you take that to a place where of, of real beauty, uh, that, that sort of shimmers above that harsh reality. Uh, so you, uh, when Pablo Honey came out, uh, my, my parents were college professors. So I was, one, I was an early adopter of what was then Usenet before the world wide web. And there was a Usenet, um, alt doc group, uh, that sort of stoked my early fandom and, uh, Finding and tracking down some of the early singles and and trying to complete my collection and ordering stuff from the UK. There was a Phil is Great Club that was started by some fans in Japan who felt that uh, historically the the drummer of a particular band tends to be overlooked and mm-hmm. so <laughs> that and give him special attention. Uh, they founded the Phil is Great Club and made T-shirts and I still have my Phil is Great T-shirt. Um, and then, of course, everybody else found out about Radiohead, especially a little bit with the bands, but then really with OK Computer. And I think everyone uh, who's liked this kind of band has had that moment of, wait a minute, this is my band, you can't have them. <laughs> and uh, almost a sense of ownership over what became a mass phenomenon. Uh, but it's also been kind of great, almost like having a, a successful child to have. This, this band be appreciated by so many people. Unfortunately, it makes it harder to get concert concert tickets, and the venues are less intimate. And we can talk about my, my saga of trying to see Radiohead in concert uh, later. But uh, suffice it to say that the first time I tried to see them, uh, this is before they uh, were solo act. Before even they, they um, opened for REM, they they were opening for Soul Asylum, and they were playing a small club in downtown Denver. And that would have I- been
1: 1993.
2: Yeah I, must yeah, I think it's before Pablo Honey was released. Yeah. And, uh, and I, they're terrible. Even that one song, I just can't stand it. Uh, but I got tickets cause I wanted to see Radiohead and then wouldn't you know it? I think what happened was their gear truck got, got stolen the night before, <laughs> so they couldn't play the show. Uh, so I couldn't even get a refund cause Soul Asylum still played. I just didn't want to go. Uh, but, <laughs> but, uh, so there, I've always had problems uh, getting to see Radiohead in person, but, uh, that has not swayed me and, and uh, they're
1: still my favorite band. Um, I, what Molly just said actually was beautiful and, uh, and, and, and very, very much, uh, tracks with how I feel about Radiohead and how I got into them. I kind of want to uh, adopt it all and incorporate it into my thoughts by reference, you know, what she said with the sole exception that I didn't get into them until a little later. I was, I'm a couple of years younger than you, Molly. So like I, I, when, when, creep came out i i encountered them via beavis and butthead right as i just said (laughs) like you know and it was great there was you know these 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 annoying guys with their with their you know whiny squinty faces are playing and beavis and butthead are sitting on the couch they're like this song sucks huh because it's like the very slow opening part and then it goes into (laughs) the johnny gooder going and then they're like yeah and they start headbanging and uh, I think I think it's Beavis or Butthead who makes the observation. It's like it's almost like the fact that the sucky part sucks makes the awesome part awesome. So fucking special. I wish I was special.
3: But I'm a
1: Exactly the way Creep worked for me as an 11-year-old kid, but I just treated them as a one-hit wonder. And then when I went into high school, which would have been around 1994, I was still thinking of Radiohead. I remember them. Who could forget Creep? It was, it was kind of one of these songs that became like legendary, you know, as a surly anthem of alienation. But everybody, certainly I knew, treated them as like, ah, oh, well, that was that one band. It was like Bush with Machine Head, you know. Like, <laughs> does anybody ever remember any other songs by Bush? No. Um, that was Radiohead to me. In high school, especially as I was becoming a classic rock snob, all I wanted to do was talk about the Beatles and the Who and Dylan and the Stones and that. Uh, and then a friend of mine said, "You got to listen to this album. This would have been '95, '96." And what did they do? They handed me the Bends, and that changed everything. Finally, I had a band in the modern era that was currently around, that was making music, not just you know old music from the '60s and '70s but a modern band that was my own band. I couldn't even believe this was the same group. Nowadays, I can go back and I can find all the, you know, the, the common lines, the through lines that connect, say, Pablo Honey to the Benz and to all of their music, you know, all throughout their career, there's this very long continuity. Uh, but back in 1996, I heard the bends and I couldn't believe that this was the same group. This is just an album of stunning beauty. And then I went, I, you know, you know bribed the bouncer to get past the door at the 930 club it's Washington DC local venue saw them in 96 that was the beginning of my my journey with them as a live act i've seen
0: all right so what did it cost you
1: uh i don't even remember it was like <laughs> you know 60 bucks or something like that we had the tickets somebody had given them to us but then we gave the guy 60 bucks to let us in cuz it was a you know it was an over 21 club yeah um but uh I mean, if, if my memory serves, it's been a long time, as you can understand. Uh, but anyway, uh, this is a band that I forged an emotional connection with that is basically unique in my life. Uh, I will say that it's almost hard to talk about Radiohead for me. It's one of the reasons why you know people ask me, like, when we started this show, it's like, oh, you're going to do a Radiohead episode, right? That's going to be like the first episode, obviously, because you're like one of the most enormous Radiohead fans on the planet, and the answer to that question was no. I never wanted to do them. At first, in fact, I contemplated maybe never doing them at all because I sometimes feel like I'm too close to this subject. Like Molly said, like when they got popular, they really blew up after OK Computer and then Kid A. I started feeling very jealous. There was a part of me that actually felt like, you know, you're stealing my my private meaning away from me, uh, you know, by liking this group. How dare you like this group? Uh, childish, immature, adolescent feelings. Uh, but even into the present day, as as they have aged, I have aged with them, which is a, is a very funny feeling uh, as a music listener to have that kind of an emotional relationship with a band, with a group. I, I become almost sort of emotionally, intimately connected to their music in a way I can say applies to almost nobody else in the entire, you know, you know universe of popular music and believe me i've listened to uh, a lot of music at this time in my life uh one thing i do want to emphasize about what molly said is that that melody i've always been a bigot for melody you know if there's something that i privilege above everything else in music it's melody something that is fundamentally hummable or singable and uh radiohead is one of the most melodically gifted bands tom york Primarily, as one of the most melodically gifted songwriters of the past 50 years. This is something that that carried them through even when they were making so called weird or difficult music, say in the early 2000s or, you know, with Kid A and Amnesiac. I never found that stuff to be very difficult. I found it to be bracing and it's an embrace of, you know, very strange avant garde tonalities and sounds, but the melodies were always there. This was always a band that wrote songs. There was always structure to what they did. It's not. Improvisational music. It's not just hashed out at random. It's so well thought out so well constructed With such amazing emotional resonance that I I guess I really don't feel the need to talk about it much more here as an introduction I'd rather just get into the music Scott. What about you? You seem to be the one who has the least knowledge of Radiohead in this discussion
0: There's no doubt about that. I'm the odd man out and I also want to say I can name at least two more Bush songs Uh, Glycerin which was the slow one that was the slow burner and then the lead single from the follow-up album that nobody bought was called "The Chemistry Between Us," and I had to play it a lot on my college radio station. So I, I, I know at least three Bush songs. Well, yeah, congrats! And you must feel so proud. <laughs> I'm very proud of myself. This knowledge will never help me in any way whatsoever, except on this very show. Uh, Radiohead. So yes, I, uh, I, I, my, my biggest uh, Radiohead connection probably is that my college roommate was a is probably, uh, a massive, massive fan. And this was uh, 2000, 2002 or so, so right in the, uh, the Kid A Amnesiac sweet spot. So I, I heard a lot of it secondhand uh, from his uh, his computer speakers. And I d- did, um, I, I, I own um, uh, the Benz, uh, very close to what it came out, and of course heard Creep and, and some Pablo Honey. I did not necessarily keep up with them very much after uh, my roommate and I parted ways, uh, but had the opportunity, of course, in the prep for this show to not just get acquainted with the albums that I didn't hear, the, some of the late uh, stage stuff, but also thanks to Jeff, hours upon hours of uh, B-sides and, 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 uh, and uh, well, mostly B-sides and some live tracks and different mixes. So, man, oh, man, uh, I, I might be the least knowledgeable, but uh, still probably better than 99% of the population at this point.
1: I mean, why wouldn't you want to listen to Radiohead B-sides all day? They're, <laughs> they're the, the best band that currently makes music in the world, uh, still to this day. But, anyways, listen. Uh, you yeah, know, we can uh, we can take shots at you later on for your lack of knowledge <laughs> of this wonderful band. I think what will. just to set the stage. I mean, you know, who are Radiohead? If you don't know who Radiohead are and you care even slightly about the, the landscape of modern music, then you know, I question I question the depth of your caring about the landscape of modern music. They were a bunch of kids who grew up around Oxford Oxford England you know right in the shadow of the University You know, they all went to like grammar school together. So you know, this is the you know, the classic British, you know, uh, you know, somewhat upper middle class kids kind of a thing. Very intelligent, literate. Some of them went to Cambridge and Oxford in college for a couple years. Uh, they formed a band called On a Friday. What were their primary influences? Their primary influences were the Pixies. Pixies, a band that we've covered uh, elsewhere on our show in the past. And uh, five members. Uh, Tom York's the lead singer the songwriter has a voice that some sounds like a combination of say i'd say bono when he really hits his high range in Mm, his youth mm -hmm. uh, and john anderson of yes very high uh at his lowest he can hit a baritone but but it's just a very pure uh, pure pure tenor one voice uh then you've got uh you know uh johnny greenwood who was the lead guitarist the kid of the band he was actually i think hired to play horns originally in the first version of the band and then they decided to take up lead guitar instead you have his brother colin greenwood uh, who plays bass you have ed o'brien who is the uh, second guitarist uh, plays a lot of uh, effects pedals and plays a lot of other rhythm stuff and then you have phil selway uh, who is the drummer Uh, phil phil is great by the way i remember that club molly I, uh, I was I was a member of that, that club, which is strange because it was mostly for, I think, like teenage girls, and yet I was a member of it. Uh, it's kind of Osaka.
2: embarrassing. Osaka.
1: Yes, yes, I know. But, I mean, I just remembered, like, it was a Japanese club. Radiohead and Japan have a whole weird interaction that I'll get into <laughs> maybe later on during the show. Um and anyways, this band came together and they, they put together a demo. This is back in the days where the music industry hadn't completely collapsed and you could just be a promising young band that puts together a demo, gets it shopped to the right person and gets signed, which is precisely what they did. They put together a demo of their stuff. Uh, They're on a Friday material. They, they shopped it to EMI. EMI said, hey, you know what? We like you. They signed them the Parlophone. There's an auspicious label, Parlophone, the label of the Beatles, no less. And they put out. Uh, a really, really scrappy and not very good EP called The Drill EP, which is their first recorded music, officially released. Uh, And then they put out a single called Creep, which uh, everybody knows nowadays, but which is easy to forget, flopped completely when it was first released. It was released in late 1992, and it went absolutely nowhere. It sank, didn't even chart, didn't chart in America. Nothing happened with this band until Creep suddenly started getting played, in america on mtv this is in the middle of the grunge revolution and radiohead seemed like the closest thing that england could offer to a grunge-like sound certainly they had the dour attitude you know (laughs) uh and then pablo honey comes out which is radiohead's debut album so i guess that's where we have to start with creep and with pablo honey this album is treated like a punchline by not only you know people who just casually understand Radiohead's history, uh, but by serious Radiohead fans themselves. And I will also say that I think it is the worst of their albums, but I don't think it's a bad album. I think it's actually a somewhat underrated album, uh, and it's an album that's unique in that it has actually quite a few songs that I genuinely don't like at all. I don't really think anybody ever needs to hear Prove Yourself or Vegetable again, but I think this is a pretty good record. This is very underrated. This is Radiohead when they were young, when they were relatively carefree, Molly, what do you tell me about Pablo Honey?
2: Um, I actually like both of those songs. I I like the whole album, like I said. Um, And I think that you can hear the the seeds of the complexity that would come to develop later on, and also the attitudes, right, in songs like uh, Stop Whispering, which is kind of an anthem, or Anyone Can Play Guitar, which is much more sardonic and alienated. Uh, But – but you still have that, that soaring chorus. I want to play in a band when I get to heaven and, and it builds to this wonderful climax. Um, So I, I, it's not my least favorite album. I think *Hail to the Thief is probably my least favorite album. Um, And I do think it's underrated, but obviously I wouldn't feel that way if they hadn't gone on to do all of the things that they did. Right. I mean, when Pablo Honey came out, they were one of many bands I was interested in. And it wasn't for a while until I realized they were the only band that, continued to interest me after I got that first single and that first album and realized that not only did I not ever get tired of that album and I liked every song on the album and I could listen to it over and over again but then the next thing they did and the next thing and or the or the b-sides on the different singles that they put out always always kept my attention I mean I I remember like uh Cracker had that one hit low and I (laughs) that and i and i started trying to amass some of their other singles and just realized like no this isn't like radiohead it, oh they,
1: oh oh, no you're speaking blasphemies in the eyes <laughs> in the ears of scott scott's the world's Sorry. biggest tracker fan
0: <laughs> but they're not and, like and radiohead so yeah just, it's true
2: I, they just don't to me have, have the same range uh and and uh, uh although euro trash girl is a great song but uh the i so i guess what i'm trying to say is uh there is a bit of backward justification for Pablo Honey, I guess, uh, because knowing the, the the way they would validate my early uh, fandom, as I do now, I can look back and say, oh, uh, everything I liked about Pablo Honey at the time was was clearly prescient, but uh, it didn't have to end up that way.
1: Scott,
0: it's it's a it's a perfectly OK album in in, in, in my estimation. There, there's nothing that that really bounces uh, off the page uh it, it's not horrible it's not trash um uh, you know it, it's uh kind of england's angsty grungy answer to what was happening in in america uh, more so than any other album uh, you know the influences i think are are fairly clear uh jeff had mentioned you know uh, time York's voice sounding a lot like bono in the higher register i think that's especially apparent on uh on some Pablo Honey songs, like like "Stop Whispering," which which I like an awful lot, but um, you know the, the, those high notes he's hitting in that song, very Bono-esque, and I think that song also shows a lot of their, their Pixies uh, influences too. I hear I hear that band a whole lot on, on Pablo Honey, um, including "Stop Whispering" and and, and elsewhere. There are a couple songs I, I, I don't like much at all. Um, How Do You and I Can't. I'm, I'm not a big fan of, of Ripcord. Uh, Thinking About You is, is a slower uh, acoustic bass, more, more delicate song with a few uh, electric lead parts uh, here and there. I like that quite a bit, and and I don't necessarily turn the the dial when Creep comes on the the old radio station uh, either. Uh, you know, some of the uh, some of the singles and and, and uh, uh, Molly, I mentioned Faithless, the Wonder Boy, which is on the Anyone Can Play Guitar single. I, I like that song oh, quite it's, a bit. Okay. How
2: oh, I had it in my head that it was Creep.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I like that one quite a bit. Uh, a very kind of Smiths-y, uh influence on that song, um, but you know, it, generally it, it's a fine album. It, it only pales largely in comparison to what would what would come in, in the future i think standing alone you'd say hey, that, that's a that's a fine album right there
1: i mean the album is completely overshadowed it's dominated entirely by creep and the legend of creep you know the, the band's relationship to the song is, has it's kind of become one of their foundational myths i don't know if any of you have seen that documentary it's not actually a very good documentary at all in my mind called meeting people is easy which documents them as they're doing the okay computer tour in nineteen ninety seven and ninety eight and like you know there's these moments where like you know york is is basically having a petulant you know hissy fit uh, or or a nervous breakdown a thing, you know you can interpret it you know charitably or uncharitably uh when the crowds are are forcing them to play creep or demanding it there's a there's a great <laughs> scene from I think a concert in Philadelphia. Where like they come out and they play it. I think it's as as an encore, and York doesn't even sing. He just he just holds the uh, the microphone out to the audience with this really kind of like, you know, petulant look on his face, and he lets them sing the verses. You know, when you were here before, couldn't look you in the eye, and then finally he sings, yeah, and I'm a creep, I'm a weirdo. What the hell am I doing here? Um, they loved that song when they wrote it. They recognized that it was the best thing that they had done by far, and then they grew to hate it. When you know people kept on coming up to them saying, "Oh, are you guys are a depressive band? You guys are a you know a band of you know you know you know very suicidal young men, are you not? Uh, you clearly hate yourselves because of this song." And uh, you know, first of all, I think they you know Tom York has a lot of a lot of gall to get upset about being characterized as being a depressive lyricist because almost all of his lyrics are very (laughs) bleak and dark. Uh It's not just creep, buddy. I mean, you know, prove yourself is – One of my least favorite songs, and one of the reasons why is it feels like it's an exhortation to kill yourself. You know, can't afford to breathe in this town, nowhere to sit without a gun in your hand. Hook back up to my catheter ray, prove yourself. I'm better off dead. I'm better off dead. I mean, Jesus, you know, why do you think people thought you guys were somewhat negative in your lyrical conceits? Well, it's because you're writing and singing songs that that have lines like, I'm better off dead, and you expect people to draw something else from this. But, um, you know, creep is one of those things where they used to hate it, and now they they like it again. In fact, it's one of the only songs from this record that they'll still play. And there's no sense in denying that it's the best thing on the record. It's so good, in fact, that that sadly they had to end up paying royalties to uh, the dude who wrote The Air That I Breathe by The Hollies, (laughs) uh, which is an interesting story. If you're familiar with that 1974 hit by The Hollies, All I Need Is The Air That I Breathe. Similar chord changes, similar melody. It's not a straight ripoff in any way, but it's probably something that subliminally York kind of nicked without even realizing he was nicking it. I think that the rest of this album is uh, perfectly cromulent, to use a word that doesn't technically exist. <laughs> I think that "You" is underrated in particular. You know, it's got that that twenty-three-eight meter, which is actually correct. It's it's, it's not in four-four. It's in twenty. It's in twenty-three. Uh, it cuts off the last beat and every four measures. So. You you have to resolve it as 23, kind of a hint of where Radiohead would be going in terms of odd times, seeing that you're somewhere down the line. Uh, I think Lurgy, another one that they played long into their career after they discarded all the rest of Pablo Honey, is also pretty good. And I think the one that's the most underrated song on this album, one that they pulled out, I think, as recently as a couple of years ago, just for the heck of it, is Blowout, the last song on this record, yeah. which I think is you know, you know, creep, as I said, dominates everything, but you know, my Dark Horse choice for the best thing on Pablo Honey is blowout. I love that. I love the remixed version that they released as a B side. I think it was the B side of Creep when Creep like broke big. Yeah. I love that version even more. I think it that's height- better too. Yeah. Yeah, it heightens the drama a fair amount. But these guys knew what they were doing even early on. Everything I touch.
3: Touch you can touch
1: absolutely no preparation for what would come next and again the story of creep comes into this you know comes into the mythology of radiohead because what is their next release oh well, they do a song called pop is dead about which the less said the better uh but then the next major page- sure. you like pop is dead oh I no do. oh no pop is dead long live pop oh gosh it's such a I think it's a dopey song Molly I don't know have you ever seen the video which is Tom York with a peroxide dye job uh, being carried around in an open coffin by a bunch of hooded monks it's the worst video ever made (laughs) I'm
2: glad I missed that one
1: it's terrible, but anyway,s "Pop Is Dead" is a song that they don't think very highly of, and neither do most fans. Although, you know, again, everyone's got their their little you know idiosyncratic <laughs> favorites. But the next song is "My Iron Lung," which a lot of people know as just a song that's on the Bends, their second album, but was actually released a year before the Bends. And once you understand, the song is a direct lyrical tale of. The band's reaction to the success of "Creep." This is our new song. It's just like the last one—a total waste of time. My iron lung. It's a metaphor for something that both sustains you and gives you life, while it simultaneously suffocates you and prevents you from you being able to exist in the world because you're entrapped and entombed in this metal monstrosity. That's my iron lung. So- is one of the finest songs they ever released but My Iron Lung and the B-sides that accompanied it on the My Iron Lung EP suggested that this band was not at all what we expected them to be. It was the first major left turn in Radiohead's career and I think it is the moment they truly become great. When I listen to the Trickster... When I listen to Permanent Daylight or Lozenge of Love or Punch Drunk, Love Sing Along, all these songs are on the My Iron Lung EP. These are B-sides to most people. Most people don't even know they exist. That is the moment where Radiohead becomes Radiohead. That was my point of entry into this band. And I guess perhaps for that reason alone, that's something I'm always going to love more about them than anything else.
2: Yes, I mean, the B-sides... Are consistently amazing, which makes me wonder why did they put so much amazing material not on their main albums? I mean, was it sort of an Easter egg for true fans, or did they actually underrate some of their best material? Uh, I don't know, uh, but but I mean, going back to Pablo Honey, I think there are some amazing B sides. Banana Co is one of my favorites. I do like Pop Is Dead, but also Million Dollar Question, I think, is fantastic. Um, I like uh, I like inside my head, um, and so then they carry that forward when they put out the My Iron Lung EP, and all of those songs are just amazing. And they're and and they're I don't know maybe the, maybe they're maybe the band considered them less less serious because they're sometimes they're these little confections right that are less less anthemic or less uh, large scale maybe or or less depressive than some of their main material. But stuff like yeah, the, all of the ones that you mentioned, uh, the Trickster, Punch Truck, Love Love's Six, Sixing Long, Lozenge of Love, I love all of those songs, and I would agree with you that 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 they were a real sort of marker for how how complex and interesting and more than a one-hit wonder uh, this band was going to be because you know there are there's songs in there that are that are quite sort of validy very tight. Uh, uh, but but also doing weird stuff, doing
1: yeah, that, that's the floaty dreaminess of punch, struck, love, think yeah. sing, sing along. That's something that had never happened in any of Radiohead's previous songs. And that was the blueprint. Basically, that's that's the Radiohead sound for the first time ever. That's what you're going to hear on, like, all these weird songs on OK Computer and Kid A all the way up to, like, a moon shaped pool. That's where you first hear it. What a wonderful little like gem to just find hidden away. When I was in college, is when I was like getting all these things. in like high school, we had Napster. Remember Napster? Uh, you would download these B sides. I remember the first time I found Punch Drunk Love, Six Sing Along. I was like, What is this? What is this magnificent gem that has been hidden from me my entire life? me know, my entire life. Right? It was me. Yeah, three years, that I was a fan of the band. Right? But yeah, I, I just loved the fact that they they would put these things away. You know, in places that you had to go look for them. And when you found them, you. Found felt like again you're bonded even more closely to the group because you had to work for it it wasn't just there on the album you had to go hunt it down in some obscure uk import or something
0: I don't know if there's any sort of rhyme or reason, necessarily. How many of these episodes have we done, Jeff, where we talk about uh, great artists uh, leaving songs off albums or consigning them to B-sides or not releasing them until years after the fact? It just... I think we did three installments of Bob Dylan yeah, that were basically I, devoted to that premise. I mean, the, the band is far closer to the material than we are as fans, and they have whatever. I mean, who who knows what the reasons are? But it's not an atypical story that that some of the band's really great work is left off albums proper, and uh, we have a lot of songs like that in in, in Radiohead's career. Uh, on my Iron Lung EP, you guys you know covered a good deal of this. I mean, it's it's good enough and long enough. Eight eight songs. You can treat it like a like a real album almost. I mean, really, uh, those songs are so good, and they do point the way forward. Lozenge of Love and Permanent Daylight, especially for me, um, are are the examples of sort of the new ideas and some of the new directions they'd be going. This The floating uh, kind of thing that Jeff talked about, the kind of meandering uh, uh, path that some songs take. It's clear in those two tracks for sure. And one that hasn't been mentioned, heavy guitar song, but uh, Lewis I, I actually like a lot from my iron lung ep as well uh if you like guitars though uh the next album would would, would serve you well too <laughs> yes and how <laughs> i mean and the funny thing
1: about the bends is is that again it's a step forward. the 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 touchstone of radiohead's career always is mutagenic growth they, they never stop moving even a moon-shaped pool is their most recent album is just fundamentally different than uh in rainbows the last one or rather the king of limbs the mm-hmm. king of limbs is different than in rainbows these guys never stop moving it they're, they're like the shark you know the story of the shark is the shark even when it it sleeps it has to move because if it stops moving it dies radiohead feels like a band that if they ever stopped moving if they ever started recycling themselves they would die and so on 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 the bends their their second album this is where basically they become radiohead the the band that everybody loves this is a lot of people's favorite radiohead album so it's almost easy to miss just how radically different it is from what had come before for the band my favorite example is actually the opening song planet telex the last song that was written for the album what people don't realize is that it was written uh, in a drunken jam session that began when they took another song that they had already recorded called Killer Cars. Everybody knows the song Killer Cars? Well, not everybody, but fans definitely know it. Uh, They did a slow version of Killer Cars, kind of a laid-back hippie version called the Mogadon version. Um, which I love, but it's, it was not re released when they did these two CD sets, which is a travesty. It's kind of a more slow, jammy version. And on the drum playout, you know, they have this, 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 you know, the guitar. And then York is singing Killer Cars, Killer Cars. But what they did is they took the drum track from that. They said, you know what, I really like this groove that Phil has on it. And then they slowed it down, maybe about 5%, and then they looped it. And that became Planet Telex. The drums in Planet Telex aren't live. They're just killer cars, right. repurposed. They got drunk, and then they just started making up nonsense lyrics. You can force it, but it will not come. You can, you know, you, you can. it's dry as a bone. None of the words mean a thing on that song. You know, For a band whose, whose lyrics are often overanalyzed to death, it, it helps to understand that Planet Telex is literally just something that they came up with, and they said, we really like the sound of this. This sounds really different. <laughs> set the tone for what the bends would be, which is half a foot in the previous sounds of Pablo Honey. Songs like the bends, um, High and Dry. High and Dry is literally an outtake from Pablo Honey. There's everything. They recorded it. They mixed it. They, f- they forgot about it. And then when they were recording the bends, they found it and remembered that they recorded it. And they said, you know, this actually sounds pretty good. And so you have half of the old and half of the new. You have songs like Sulk, Street Spirit, Bulletproof, Uh, nice dream that looked forward. And then I guess the one song, and I don't want to talk about this one first because I feel like everybody has something deep to say about fake plastic trees. Um, I want to give Molly a chance. If she has some powerful emotional thoughts on fake plastic trees, because Lord knows it meant a lot to me when I was an adenoidal teenager, but I don't want to steal those thoughts from somebody else, particularly our guest.
2: Uh, well, I'm not, I don't want to be contrarian here, but I think oh, at no. least came out, fake plastic trees was my least favorite or maybe high and dry just because both of those songs struck me as more conventional uh, and, and kind of obvious. Like they, they, like fake plastic trees, especially I, I tried to find some other depth to it besides just like, Oh, I'm full of angst and everything is fake and everyone around me is fake. And the <laughs> are thinking, like, plants are fake and I'm going to mope about it. and, and <laughs> and sing in this whiny voice. So I, I, my favorite song when the album came out was Just. Where you had some rockin' guitars in there to sort of leaven the otherwise uh otherwise sort of syrupy ballad. Uh, I like that structure a lot more uh than than something like High and Dry, where it, it just feels a little bit too far in that direction for me. I certainly it's it's beautiful, it's so beautiful. But what I like about Radiohead is when they take something beautiful and undercut it a little bit or give it a little bit of an edge, give it, take it in an unexpected direction. And uh and you know, a, a song like uh, like Street Spirit, I think, does that. And I still remember the liner notes, the illustrations, a little, um, there's a little tank and it has a flag. And what does it say? Does it say joy? I think it says joy. Yeah. And that, to me, was like the perfect symbol of Radiohead, this like post-apocalyptic landscape, this this this, this, this almost war zone feeling. And yet, uh, there, there there's an epiphany in the middle of it. There's a feeling of joy.
1: Immerse your soul in love. Immerse your soul. After, after a, a song, "Street Spirit" is a, is a bleak song. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a very dark song. I think York actually said like, I, I don't understand why the fans love that song so much. Why they think it's like such a happy song? Because I was feeling it. You know, basically my most apocalyptic when I wrote it, and I, and I think it's it's because of the way it ends. You know, with that immerse your soul in love. After these, you know, it you know cracked cracked bird. It's dead cracked eggs dead birds scream as they fight for life i can see death can see its beady eyes i mean it's dark it's a very dark thing you know Thing, everything just fades out and then yet you know despite that there is beauty in the song cracked eggs, dead
3: birds. scream as they fight for life i can All these things, I want this one alone
1: I, I, everybody loves the Bends. Basically, this is the album that even people who don't like Radiohead say, so like, "Yo, but you know, I liked them on the Bends, and then they got bad after that. You know, <laughs> why don't they make more stuff like the Bends?" I, you know, this is my first Radiohead album. This is the album that got me into them, and it's very funny for me that despite that fact, I, I've moved on from it. I don't find actually any of Radiohead's 90s albums, including OK Computer, to be nearly as interesting as what they ended up doing later on in their career. But there are songs on this album that still stay for me, that have staying power. Planet Telex is one of them. I mentioned that already. Uh, nice Dream, I think, is another one. There's a song that's just purely beautiful and, and one of the, the, one of the first songs I ever taught myself to play on acoustic guitar. I taught myself to play guitar literally just so I could play Radiohead songs <laughs> and sing them. That was the reason. I had a guitar. I'd been sitting around, and I'd not bothered to like, learn it. It's hard, man, when, you, when you're starting from scratch. And I said to myself, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make myself learn to play. I want to be able to play Nice Dream that's a hard song it's actually not a hard song it's got a lot of chords but it's not a difficult song to play and i just powered through and i suddenly became a pretty proficient guitarist because of radiohead because of this album <laughs> but the one that i stay with the one that that to me is it might actually make it so hard to do the top five for this band for me but this one might make it it's black star it's a song that kind of gets lost in the shuffle of the bands. it's uh, you know near the end of the album it, it's it's a song that fades in it sounds very similar to um, a lot of the other songs that they've done in their career in terms of the way it's quarterly constructed, it has a bit of feel of the bends, it has a bit of feel of uh, high and dry to it, but it's such a much, much more powerful lyric. This is a song about a relationship that's falling apart. You know, I get home from work and you're still standing in your, your dressing gown. Well, what am I supposed to do? You know, What do you do? You, you, you blame it on the black star. You blame it on the satellite. You, you, you blame it on everything else. And then there's that, that wonderful final verse where uh, he's harmonizing with himself. You know, I, I get on the train and I'm just standing back now that I don't think of you, I keep falling over, I keep passing out. every time I, I, every time I hear those lines, I lose myself in the arrangement and in the harmony of that song. And that to me, represents the, the lasting triumph. Of an album that they were going to be moving past so quickly that nobody realized at the time. Thought, well, this is Radiohead as Radiohead is going to be forever. This is Radiohead as they hit it. They've hit the big time. And Radiohead did not seem to be at all interested in repeating what they had done on the Benz, um, which is why when OK Computer finally landed in 1997 uh, – everyone's head exploded, and mine certainly did too. But before we get to that, Scott, um, you, are you going to tell me that The Benz is a bad album? I'm not going to. Love...
0: No, no. I like it quite a bit. Um, although, I, 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 like Molly, I'm not the biggest fan of fake plastic trees. So if you want to say something about that song, you should do it now. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's I think it's just a beautiful song. Perhaps I come at it from the point of view of a singer.
1: Again, you, know, you talk about uh, you know songs that I wanted to learn how to play and sing, uh, fake Plastic Trees was right up there with that. I, I love the purity of York's voice. I love how he sings at the end, that final verse. You know, She looks like the real thing. She tastes like the real thing. And then at the end where he says, but I can't help the feeling. I could blow through the ceiling. The, the emotional power of his vocals there is, I think, unmatched by almost anything in his career. There is greater finesse later on. In Radiohead's career from Tom York vocally but there was never the same kind of emotional power that you would hear as you heard on fake plastic trees and that's why I love it so much
0: Too, I like High and Dry better. Actually, the um, uh, York's falsetto hook on that—it just, it really grabs me. That that melody, uh, and launched about a thousand bands too. I mean, the, the DNA for Coldplay and Travis and others are right there in High and Dry. And there's a song on one of the singles called "How Can You Be Sure," which I, I really love too. Very similar to High and Dry. I can see why one made the album and, and one did not. Even the way. That York really stretches out that 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 note on high. That's the same thing with how on um, how how can you be sure? Um, nice dream is such a wonderful song. Dreamlike quality to it. Um, you know when you have that that chorus, which is just that phrase "nice dream" repeated, up until you get to the bridge when it, the backing vocals come in, and, and that if you think you're strong enough part. And then this cacophony, this this guitar, um, you know, not explosion, but this this wall of guitars, right at the very end. Uh, nice dream is great. Probably my favorite song on the album. I, I've always really liked Justin. You know, it's something that they would never really replicate in the future. It's not the band that they were going to be down the road. This this, this very heavy, you know, Greenwood guitar-based um, band um, with, with, with those guitars front and center. Uh, but just is fantastic. And uh, you mentioned Street Spirit, the, the final song of the album, which I, I do like a lot, too is it the layers of guitar that the jangle and the crunch and the shimmer to all that would, would not last very long, but they made the most of it. I mentioned the one, the one, how can you be sure? There's a couple of other songs. I think they were just writing really great. I mean, look, really great rock songs, uh, uh, talk show host, which, uh, that was the one I was hoping yeah. you were going to
1: mention. That is, uh, I think Molly's favorite song by Radiohead or, or something close. Yeah, that. I
2: think It is. So, um, I don't want to interrupt you though. Finish what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Finish what
0: you're saying, Scott. I'm the one who interrupts people. (laughs) (laughs) Talk show is just so sparse. I I do want to talk
2: about talk show.
0: Yeah. Sparse and and slinky. And I think that really points the way forward to okay computer. And this, this, uh, prepping for the uh, show is the first time I actually heard the song, which uh, I guess is a little unusual. It was on the Romeo and Juliet soundtrack and the movie. I just had never heard it before, but it really knocked me out, uh, when I heard it. And then, uh, uh, uh um it's just a huge beast of a rock song it's like their for me it's their it's their biggest rock star moments. like all those rock star moves and sort of sounds and da, da,
1: da, da, yeah. Da, 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 da. yeah those big it's tricky right, chords it's
0: one of those big rock pauses right near the middle of it too before right. the, the band comes crushing back in um all those uh B-sides are are just really really good some of my favorite stuff uh from the band none of them made made the album talk if you want to talk more about talk show host what a great song
2: yeah I love that song I also remember that moment um in in Romeo and Juliet because he's I forget which character but he's like walking down the beach kicking at the sand and I think he's like just killed someone or something so it's this really complicated moment but instead of having it be a big noisy moment it's this really quiet and almost sinister moment with these these little these chords coming in the way that that song goes, um, and how spare it is—it's just an incredible, to me, uh, uh, feeling to that whole song. And and I agree with you. Some of my favorite um, B sides are from this album, and uh, and uh, that and but that song in in particular, I think. I want to go back to what you're saying about the lyrics and and them being dark and depressive because I've never thought of Radiohead that way. But I can see how they certainly read that way if you're just reading the lyrics. And I think that's one of the really amazing things that they're doing uh, with their aesthetic is that they're taking these really dark sentiments and then setting them to this, like you said, really shimmering music. You know, and on a song like "Nice Dream," saying you know, if you think that you're strong enough, if you think you belong enough, "Nice Dream," uh, which is like a re- really nasty. Um, but then it's this this blissful, serene, uh, uh, soaring uh, music behind that sentiment that is such a. Uh, it's it's a it's a disjunction, but it's 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 a it's a beautiful disjunction, I think. And so talk show host is kind of the same way, where what he and you know it's a little bit different. Rather than self loathing, it's it's a, it's this snarling, threatening. You know, uh, come and find me. I'll be waiting with a gun and a bag of sandwiches. Which like who does that? But okay, <laughs> uh, and uh, and so I, I feel like
1: that was a joke it was on purpose you know he's trying to sort of like deflate his own like pretensions there i think people don't give radiohead credit enough your credit enough for like actually having a sense of humor sometimes well
2: i think that's right i think there is a lot of sort of sardonic um or self-mocking or uh or just ironic uh content to some of these lyrics that would otherwise read as like almost juvenile in their angstiness
1: I mean, I, I, everyone loves Talk Show Host uh, for a, a good reason. And I also want to point out that Scott was dead on when he said that it sounds like it's something that points the way forward to OK Computer. Um, it is, in fact, a transitional recording. Mm-hmm. It was uh, one of the few B-sides. It was released as the B-side of Street Spirit. Street Spirit wasn't released as a single until 1996. Uh, talk Show Host and uh, the other one on that a uh, single called bishop's robes another nice really underrated radiohead b-side those were both recorded after the bends had been released after they had already been touring the album uh for just like a session you know during a stolen moment uh and then they recorded another song at that same session something that they liked that they wanted to give to a little charity ep uh you know for i think uh you know to settle war refugees uh and the name of that song was called lucky um, a song that is probably one of the most famous songs of Radiohead's career. And it begins, again, we talk about Radiohead's sardonic humor. There is something very, very sardonically funny about titling a song, you know, <laughs> I'm on a roll, I'm on a roll, I feel my luck could change. You know, when the, the-, the thesis of the song is, you know, like, you know, pull me out of the air crash, pull me out of the lake, I'm a superhero. It's this theory, this, this, this kind of... Like, theory that york has had you know that he's expressed in several other songs airbag being another one of them uh where you know an airbag he says in an interstellar burst i'm back to save the universe he talked about how that song is about the thrill of getting into a car crash and surviving you feel like you're immortal if you survive a car crash similarly unlucky you know, like you feel like if you survive a plane crash well nothing can top me now i'm on a roll my luck will change it's- That of course is the bridge that takes us to OK Computer, an album about which more words have been spilled than any other Radiohead album in history, and I despair almost at talking about it. Not only because I don't know what else I can say about it that hasn't been said already, uh, but also because, in a weird way, this is one of those albums that meant so much to me that I embraced so much that. Like literally had such titanic impact upon me as a child, and yet i it has faded for me, and in a way that it seems unfair to the album itself, it's unfair to hold this against okay computer okay computer is as brilliant a record as landmark of a record as it was you know as it is now as it was the day it was released, and yet all I can do now when I listen to it is think about well. I can nitpick the flaws. I can say, well, you know, electioneering shouldn't have been on that album. I can say, well, you know what? I don't like exit music for a film that much. And that That's going to be heresy for a lot of Radiohead fans. <laughs> Everyone else loves exit music. I don't. I think it's a drag. I can think, well, you know, I'm really tired of Karma Police. It's such an obvious song. These are the snobbish, ultra-fan opinions that almost have no value for anybody else because they're, you know, they're born of spending an entire lifetime listening to this music and having absorbed it so much that it's practically a part of my dna um, but i guess the most important thing to say about okay computer is that i don't think there has been any album that so perfectly captured the zeitgeist of its era and was also prescient than this record the the fear of you know the ennui the enemy the 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 sense of getting lost in a, in a technological wilderness uh is so perfectly captured on okay computer and it seemed revolutionary then, and you listen to it now, and even now, it still doesn't seem like it's old hat or cliche. Even that fitter, happier little like vocal interlude, which could seem like hack, you know, cliche, kind of like cheap, you know, lyrical, you know, cheap, you know, tossed off lyrics that they couldn't bother to be giving, you know, a melody to. It, when he gets to that last line, you know, a pig in a cage on antibiotics, boy, I mean that that comes still very close to capturing a certain way that we feel coddled and treated and swaddled up in modern society and that was, a, that was a song from 1997 and we exist now in 2018 and it still seems relevant and that's the greatest tribute I can pay to OK Computer which otherwise for me despite the fact that the melodies are just so powerful uh, it, it it doesn't do that much for me anymore and I, this is the weirdest thing in the world for a Radiohead superfan to say
2: um, well, I, I don't know what, what I can add. I still love this album and I refuse to hold against it that it's been overplayed or, or is overloved or overanalyzed, uh, just because there's so, it has so much incredible staying power. I think at the same time as it, it captures something really, I guess you could say dated because it's very specific to that late nineties moment, right? The like, the like pre nine 11, Tech boom starting to happen, like WTO protests, right? This like these these um, these currents that are going through, like you know, Clinton era America and the yeah, world.
1: Riot shields and voodoo economics, you know, like that line. Yeah,
2: the- exactly. And so that that sense of like, I'm not quite sure what I'm what I have to be so alienated about, but I do. But but and yet I feel this way, and it's a a little bit self indulgent, but um, but it's but again like that the the lyrical sensibility, right? The who can forget the the kicking screaming Gucci little piggies, which just like will never be topped, I don't think. As as a description of like that that whatever it is that that describes, um, I, I love it. it's a,
1: cer- a certain kind of woman at a certain kind of bar scene. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Oh,
2: I think of it as more like I don't know law firm drones or
1: whatever. <laughs> I mean those 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 are the kinds of people I'm sure he was referring to at the bar. But it was it was yeah. it was his like, you know, I think it's his like recounting of like a really bad American experience in Los Angeles, you know, at a bar where like, you know, some some woman was like, Oh, you spilled your drink on my purse. Ah like that kind <laughs> of a you know bad encounter and that's where the kicking squealing Gucci little piggy came from.
2: Right. Um so yeah and like fitter happier, right? Which also is like such a cliche but it's i i still can't hear anybody talking about like wanting to be more productive without thinking of those (laughs) droning words and that computer voice and how perfectly they skewered uh sort of the same things that fight club was skewering right the like combination Mm -hmm. of self-improvement and consumerism that turned humans into packaged products to be continually refined uh and uh and there and so there was this it, and it was doing it from a different angle than like grunge was doing right like instead of wanting to just make it uh messy or uh or or, or messed up uh, it was like making a a, a sort of off kilter but still glossy surface
0: concerned but powerless an empowered and informed member of society pragmatism not idealism will not cry in public less chance of illness Tires that grip in the wet Shadow of baby strapped in backseat A good memory Still cries at a good film Still kisses with saliva No longer empty and frantic Like a cat Tied to a stick That's driven into Frozen winter shit The ability to laugh at weakness calm, Fitter Healthier And more productive A pig In a cage On antibiotics
2: uh, and and something that was that was so pretty right in songs like karma police or exit music um, I like electioneering I think it, I think it goes pretty well but I my first entree to this album was when uh, lucky was released on the help album for the children of Bosnia uh, which I bought because I had a Radiohead song on it but it's actually a great record there's a lot of really cool interesting contributions from a lot of a lot of bands from that time um, but it's such a it, it's such a gorgeous uh ending in the way that, you know, it, it, um, I feel like I'm repeating myself, but the way that it, it is so soaring and it create, and it, it and it conjures, uh, this, this landscape, uh, the, this post-apocalyptic almost landscape, uh, plane crashes and car crashes. There's all these thematic continuities, right. in so many Radiohead songs where, where, where technology is, is, is saving your life at the same time as, as, as it's disrupting your life, or it's, uh, or it's killing you in some cases. But uh, the, but there's but then there's the there's the emergence of sort of the human soul out of that that technological wreckage. And 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 so, what I would pick as my sort of iconic uh, song from OK Computer would be "Subterranean Homesick Alien," just because I it's I don't know it's it's. It's beautiful. It's it almost has a slightness to it that I like. It doesn't take itself so serious. It's not a grandiose song. And, and I love that image of of us humans, you know, all these weird creatures who lock up their spirits, drill holes in themselves and live for their secrets is just a beautiful uh, sort of uh, quartet. But um, but then but then to zoom out the lens from that. Right. Instead of just have it on that ground level of describing the people, Uh, to to zoom out the lens and imagine that we're being watched and imagine that aliens are making home movies out of our banal little existence. Uh, It's just transporting. That's that's the radio head that the world discovered, right? When OK Computer was, was such a smash hit was this this incredible melange of, uh, of, of styles and of aesthetics and uh, able to do hard things and soft things at the same time, able to do cheerful things and downer things at the same time and able to do it all in a way that, that felt cohesive and completely new.
1: I think that... First of all, I completely agree with you about subterranean homesick alien. I think that's one of the most beautiful songs on this record. It's one of the songs that that really stays with me after all these years. Uh, that last verse is the one that gets to me. You know, I tell all my friends, but they wouldn't believe me. They would think that I'd finally lost it completely. Um, you know, they'd lock me away, but I'd be all right. I'm, it's just such a beautiful image. Like you know, I I, I can I've seen the beauty of the world. I know what the beauty of the world can be. I was transported to a, another dimension, basically, and I have a, a, a larger view of this rat race, and I'm fine with the fact that you don't understand where I'm coming from. I'm okay. It's one of those songs that, where I heard, you know, when I heard it as a kid, it, it almost fortified my uh, sort of decided oddness and eccentricity. I was <laughs> like, well, you know what? I'm okay being the weird you know bizarre person that i am because radiohead told me it was all right to be that way This is what i mean when i say i have a weird emotional connection to these songs and the other thing which i think you just captured so perfectly molly uh was talking about you know how the the fear of technology the sort of technological enemy on this album and yet that simultaneous desire for transcendence comes through on the best song on the record for me the, the song that 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 lasts forever and is definitely going to be in my top five at the end of the show, and that's Letdown, which is exactly about those themes. You know, transports, motorways and tram lines, starting and then stopping, taking off and landing, the emptiest of feelings we're all let down and hanging around and the music is so wonderfully put to service of that conceit because it's it's a 4/4 song basically but laid over top of that 4/4 beat you have this little 5/8 guitar figure the do 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 which continues throughout the entire piece and because it's off-kilter with the actual 4/4 beat the overall effect makes you feel like you're just kind of being sucked down into the undertow. It feels like you're being ground by the gears of this technological world that you can barely comprehend that you, you're basically a puppet to. But yet at the end, at the end of the song there's that brilliant moment, maybe one of the finest moments that Radiohead has ever recorded where York sings, you know, one day I'm going to grow wings, a chemical reaction, I'm going to fly away from all of this and he goes into that high falsetto as, you know, you know, a second time York continues on the bottom these things you'll know where you are you'll know where you are you'll know where you are let down and hanging around when i heard that moment that was the moment where i realized that this was going to be the band of my life essentially the band that i i had a stronger emotional connection to to anything the bends locked me in uh, and then okay computer and particularly let down cemented it and as that song grinds to an end with those last few you know acoustic guitar pick flat pick notes and the squealing of sparks that come from their programmed beta computers it, it just felt like how could any group of people be inside my head the way radiohead were inside my head <music> That's like the memory that I have of OK Computer is feeling that these people were, were completely in tune with how I felt and where I was in my life, and they captured my feelings. And I think that's like kind of the way a lot of people our age reacted to them, that the, the here was a band actually singing about – Things that we had all thought and felt but hadn't known how to put into words or hadn't even thought could be put into words or thought were worth putting into words. And that's why OK Computer, I think, still lasts to this day because they, they hit on something that nobody else had hit on before and nobody else would ever really be able to capture the same way after them. Scott?
2: Can, can, I, oh, can yeah. I add one thing there? I think you know, it was interesting. I was thinking about the way that – the way you described – uh, subterranean homesick alien was there was there's a continuity between that and creep right because you're talking about uh, being a misfit and not being understood and yet still uh, you know taking solace in the fact that actually you're the one that sees the beauty of the world and uh, and and knows the meaning of life when 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 others don't and I feel like Tom York is that guy he's the he's the madman in the institution who makes you wonder if maybe, it's the world that's insane, and he's the only sane one. And, he's
1: R.P. And, McMurphy from One Flew Over the Cookies Nest. Basically. Yeah, and,
2: and there's a direct line from, and so it's like, I'm a creep, I'm a weirdo, was, was, was that guy in high school. But by OK Computer, he's like, he's you know, graduated or dropped out of college or whatever, and, and he's living on the street, and he's like a full blown you know, paranoid schizophrenic. Uh, but actually, he's the one who really has access to the secrets of the universe.
0: Maybe one of the nice things for me about having some you know, distance from the band is uh, this is still somewhat fresh to me. I, I'm not burned out on uh, on OK computer. I can and listen and still really uh, have it seem fresh. And, and it is. One of the more incredible things, at least to me, I, I mean, you guys can jump in. I, I don't know of anyone that, that's tried to kind of replicate this 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 kind of album specifically and, and the way it, it's put together uh, and the way it kind of merges um, rock instrumentation and the the, the more uh, computer modern production on it is is a step forward from the bench clearly, but also um, you know one step away from where they would be with the very next album. It starts out so well. I mean, Airbag, Paranoid, Android, and Subterranean Homesick Alien, those are just killer songs. Airbag, Airbag is great at sampling and and some computer-constructed atmospheric noise. Uh, percussion samples that, you know, Jeff had mentioned, this is kind of the style that they, they would use, you know, cut up and rearranged, that start-stop bass line. It's a really great song. And the lyrics there with, uh, you know, the the, the, or the, you know, the modern production style on the song combined with with the lyrics that are... Uh, a little more pessimistic, a little more worried about you know present day and, and technology. Kind of sets the tone for the an- uh, for the for the album. Uh, Paranoid Android is is just a fantastic you know multi segmented kind of song. But uh, the part, the the, uh, the acoustic part, the, the haunting uh, lyrics, and, and the, you know the rain down part is just great. There's this real uneasiness through the so- uh, through the song that is is portrayed well through the production choices. And certainly all of this, all of this is constructed with with deep Here. Collectioneering, Molly mentioned earlier, is a good track. No surprise, it's very late. I love the the, the Glockenspiel melody. Uh, again, some very morbid lyrics, very gentle music, but but the lyrics talking about someone you know being worn down by life. Um, this is a, a big step forward, I think. It you know spoiler, I think it is my favorite Radiohead album of of, of all we'll cover today. Uh, and to me, again, having some distance and not being as close as you two, it still sounds. Very fresh and very very new to me, uh, so that, that's my advantage, I suppose.
1: I mean, the one thing also to say about OK Computer is that it, it, it it's almost, for me at least, hard to talk about it without talking about the songs that didn't make the cut. This is you know an album that's famous for its not B-sides. Its B-sides from OK Computer are, are excellent. It's probably my favorite B-side era for the band. But its outtakes, uh, "Lift," uh, <clears throat> for years, was one of the most beloved and and you know constantly requested. When are you guys going to record Lift? When are you going to do Lyft? What's wrong with Lift? We loved Lyft. This is a song that they wrote in 19, 1996, and when it was played, it was the earliest of like the new OK Computer era songs, uh everybody said, like, well, this is obviously the best of the batch. Can't wait to hear what this is going to sound like on their next album. And they never released it. They, they finally released a, a studio recording of it on this this 20th anniversary. OK, not OK thing, which is it's not a very good version of it. They, they, they seem to have lost it when they tried to take it into the studio. Those live versions are Are the ones but it's one of the most positive and upbeat things that york ever wrote which is actually kind of a shame that you know it got lost you know in the transition from live to the studio because people wouldn't always be talking about how depressive this band is if they'd heard a song that you know it says you know you know today's the first day of the rest of your day so lighten up squirt you know this it's a very happy song about how oh i'm stuck in an elevator but i shouldn't panic Because my friends love me. I'm going to be safe. I'm going to be fine. Life is not as bad as I'm making it out to be. And then there's another famous, famous outtake, maybe the single most – it was the single most famous lost song in Radiohead's entire career up until recently, and that's True Love Waits. And I wanted to mention this because it's very fascinating to see how the meaning of a song can change over time. Most people don't understand what True Love Waits was originally about. This is the song that concludes their most recent album, A Moon Shaped Pool. It is as old as nineteen ninety five, however. And when they first played it, uh, they did it just once. Literally Tom York announces it at a song in Bel at a concert in Belgium hmm. by saying, This is a brand new song that no one's ever heard before. And um it's just him with one acoustic guitar in a small concert hall and a heart as big as all outdoors playing his heart out. And then Johnny comes in with his little keyboard line halfway through the song. And it's this wonderful intimate moment that you're just so grateful was somehow captured by like, a bootlegger holding, an audience, holding a tape recorder up to get it. And uh, people kept on requesting it over the years. Please play this song. Please play this song. So they finally started bringing it back later on. They never quite let go of it. But what people don't realize about the song is that it's not about what you think it is. True Love Waits was written about the band's trip to Japan where Tom York uh, encountered these Japanese fans, particularly these young girls who were kind of slavishly adoring, and he was a little bit put off by it how they would just be like we love you Tom, I'll do anything for you. I'll change who I am for you. I'll I'll dress like I you want me to. Um, you know, something that's not at all unheard of in Japanese culture, but is, is kind of sort of shocking to Western sensibilities. And that's where the lyric that goes, you know, I'll drown my beliefs to have your babies. I'll dress like you need. I'll wash your swollen feet. That's that sort of that abject subservience, because you're just so absolutely adoringly in love with someone uh, that you'll do anything you can to make them love you. Uh, So, people always interpreted that as like a happy kind of a love song. True Love Waits and Haunted Addicts. It's not that at all. And yet, by the time it finally got released, you know, over nearly two decades later, the meaning of that song had changed. And and I guess that's something we'll get to when we get to a moon-shaped pool. But it's sort of fascinating because it shows how Radiohead's writing process, the story of a song... Um, You know, as it goes through these various phases. And this is a band that will sit on their compositions, you know, for as long as they need to. Mm -hmm. Another one from this era called Nude, uh, famous outtake. They played it live on the OK Computer Tour. It was taped. Everybody had a copy of it when I was in college. We kept on wondering when they would release it. They finally got around to doing it on In Rainbows. And when they did release it, it was so different from the original version that it was practically a rewrite of the song. It's really fascinating to see this band's process. Play out in public the way they do on those albums, which is like again relevant because it brings us to Kid A. Kid A. Uh, this is the point where like I'm so engaged in the Radiohead fandom life. i mean college now. We're all hanging on with white knuckles, waiting for the follow-up to OK Computer. What is it going to be? How are they going to top this? <clears throat> you know, 1997, OK Computer comes out. Three years go by before their follow-up record is released. This is it's fair to say probably one of the most anticipated albums in recent history everybody wanted to know what were they going to do as a follow up to ok computer and the word from the band's you know uh you know the band's camp during these years was actually quite dire it was they were saying like you know yeah you know things are really going badly the band may break up nobody's really sure about how we're gonna follow this up there's no consensus on what we're supposed to do and then kid a is finally released and I still remember what it felt like to go down to the record store and buy it the the day it was released it had leaked online but I I intentionally kept myself from hearing it <laughs> I went out and I bought it and I put it on and I don't know what I was expecting after being primed on everything in their career up until that point But I can tell you that I wasn't expecting do
3: do 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 do
1: do 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 and a bunch of you know pro tooled voices and Tom York singing about how he woke up sucking on a lemon, which is everything in its right place, the the legendary opener of Kid A, and probably one of the most iconic like moments cameos of their entire career for what I think a lot of people may still argue is the best album of their career. (laughs) Endlessly about what I consider to be their greatest triumph or close. Uh, Do you want to talk about Kid A? Uh,
2: Well, so going back to our theme of like fandom and ownership and not wanting your favorite band to be so popular that you can't get into their shows. um, I remember like I could understand why everybody liked the Bends. It's a very accessible album. But I did. I was surprised that so many people liked OK Computer because it seemed like weird music. And I would have thought that like most people's tastes were more mainstream than that, but everybody liked Okay Computer, and that sucked for me because they started you know playing big arenas and stuff, and uh, and uh, it was and, and you couldn't anymore like source some of the early material and, and get copies of it. Um, but then but I was so sure that, like, Kid A would definitely be too weird for most people, right? And I loved it all the more passionately because I was sure it would alienate the rest of their Fairweather fans. And, and like, I'm still kind of annoyed that it didn't do that because <laughs> I do... Uh, it uh, does feel... What's that? Yeah, no, it's just hilarious. I had the same thought. I was, like, when everybody loved it, I was like, you're not supposed to like this! Right, right. It's, like, deliberately obscure, and it does feel like a little bit of a middle finger to their stardom, as you were talking about some of their some of their other songs have been sort of reflections on, on fame or or, or surly reactions to, to being famous. And, um, and, and yet, you know, like, and like, so Idiotech is such an amazing song because it's like, a satire of a hit and and, and like a dance song at the same time as it actually is like a great hit and a dance song. And this is like the time in my life when I'm going to raves and listening to a lot of electronica. And so it's like Radiohead has met that moment in characteristic fashion by incorporating some of what was trending, but also making it completely individual and completely original uh, and completely theirs and taking it in a direction that was musically interesting as opposed to so much of you know the mindless DJ crap that was coming out at that time. Sense of angst uh, again, sort of carried forward into a, a new era, um, where where they're thinking through these themes of modern life and and modern existence, and like you know this sentiment in everything in its right place is very much uh, very very much on a continuum with okay computer right, and and it's it's like a fitter happier type of idea, and yet it's this weird you know syncopated. Uh, unexpected, uh, and, and to have it be the first track on the album is, is a real sort of punch in the nose. That and and, and uh, yeah, I, I don't I don't think this is my favorite album, but it is it is an incredible album. In part for I don't know, brave feels like the wrong word, but it was it's it's a pretty brave or at least ballsy thing to do for a band that had achieved incredible mainstream success to like really try to go. In a different direction, in a way that was very avant-garde and and very, um, they sort of to me, uh, were turning into an art rock band at this point. And and Kid A was 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 such a turning point.
1: I mean, what a statement for them to open the most anticipated album of that year, or probably most any year for the last thirty years, uh, with three songs like Everything in Its Right Place, Kid A, and then the national anthem, you know, which is just this this clobbering thudding be I, I remember I played it for my girlfriend at the time who was not a radio fan but loved this song she's like, this makes me makes me want to murder somebody this makes me feel like I'm stuck in a traffic jam behind like you know you know six, 16 consecutive you know just
3: like
1: it's almost like the fall of the band the fall and it's mm. just repetition uh and then the, the horns come in these horns when the brilliant idea behind the horn part in the national anthem is it sounds like chaos but what they did is they they actually they they brought each individual player in and i said you know you just play you know play what you want freely they didn't it, like create cacophony if you listen to each line they're soloing kind of in tune with what they think the music is but since all these like seven to eight different people had completely different ideas of how they would handle this music when you put them all together it sounds again like a traffic jam like everybody's just like you know completely at odds with one another and it creates this glorious mess of sound that works perfectly for the theory for the thesis of that song which is just the most simple lyric. Everyone around here, everyone has got the fear, it's holding on. And that's the entire song. And it just works perfectly. this was what radio had said to all these people who had waited 3 years he said here here's here's our new album if you liked okay computer well you're going to love this <laughs> it's only by when they get to how to disappear completely do you recognize a, a, a guitar for the first time in the songs that are on this album and that's like as close to a standard piece of music maybe optimistic i suppose also is is kind of a guitar paced rock song but uh, other than that there's absolutely no compromise on kid a and what i Hmm. i I like the most about it is i genuinely do believe that they looked at their the songs that they recorded during these sessions and they just assembled them in order. They said, okay, okay here's, here's, here's 10 songs and they all fit and this is what we want to put together. It just sounds good. Everything sequences so well. The second half of Kid A from Optimistic and then In, in Limbo, which is my favorite song on the album, to Idiotech, to Morning Bell, to Motion Picture Soundtrack, it just bangs it actually just everything works it all flows as one giant piece of music it almost feels like a grateful dead concert where they're segueing music together it it flows so naturally and that to me says that, that yes there was probably some willful obscurantism in the way that they they opened this album so uncompromisingly but at the end of the day they really just chose the songs that they chose because they thought that these were the best songs to put out. And they were right. And I love this album for that reason. Um, I, I just think that it's it, it's not just a great statement. It's great music too. Scott.
0: This is really an imposing album, right? I mean, even the the, the cover. I mean, you go to grab it and what do you see? Like, what, that's a glacier, right? Is it, like a, um, it's just it's so imposing. And then you get a hold of it and... I I I think I shouldn't like this album. Just listening to it, like this is not really my thing. And yet it's done so well. It is done so well. Um, You know, there are not a lot of hooks anywhere. It's a lot of texture, a lot of you know repeating rhythms, a lot of you know sonic experimentation. And yet I think it is a success. And, and, you know, Molly's coming, you know, why don't people not like this? Um, I, I understand, but at the same time, I think listening to it, it's very easy to understand why people would 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 get what they were trying to go for. Um, and that's a credit to everyone involved, you know, from the songwriting to the performances to the production. Um, we haven't talked a lot about yet, you know, the uh, Nigel Godrich, who's been with them for an awfully long time, very, very important to the sound and, and how these albums come off. Um, yeah, I mean those first couple of tracks uh, everything in its right place is is just a, an amazing way to start the album national anthem um, Those horn stabs those low bassy horn stabs that pop in, you know, you got almost what two and a half minutes in that song till there's any vocals? It's, it's not unusual for some of the songs. Uh, Tree Finger, which is like a very Brian Eno-esque kind of uh, ambient soundscape sort of song. I, I, I like that. I, I shouldn't like that. It's, it works. It works it, it in works. the context of the album. It's yes. sort of like this this wash of fresh air that sort of
1: purges the mood between sides of the album. It, 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 it's it's needed. Where it is, it would work in no other place than as track five yeah. on Kid A.
0: Optimistic is a, is a great song. It, it probably is the most like OK yep. computer, probably, right? I mean, it was the uh, one that got, that got played on the radio, but people might know if they don't know the rest of the album. Um, um, Morning Bell might be my favorite track on the album. I really like Morning Bell with those kind of slinky guitar licks and those pulsing organs. Where'd you pop? much of this, so much of this album, again, I, I, I think, why well, I, I shouldn't really like this, but it's just done so well. And Jeff, the point you made about, you know, it's not just like this car crash of instrumentation and everything is so well planned. All those individual parts are exactly where they need to be for those songs to make sense. It is so, you know, labored. Uh, and you mentioned, you know, kind of the, the laboring that, uh, that took place in the making of the album, but it, it turns out so well um, you know, there are a couple things I don't like um, as much as, as the rest, which is why, you know, it's, it's, it's behind OK Computer in my book. I'm not a big fan of uh, Idiotech. Uh, I'm, I'm not a big fan. I'm not a huge fan of motion picture soundtrack. But uh, so much of this album works in a way, works in a completely unexpected way, I think, for, for a listener who is unaccustomed to hearing exactly what they were trying to accomplish here
1: i mean they were they were surprised as anyone at the success of this album this is the radiohead's first number one album Mm -hmm. (laughs) of all things okay computer didn't go to number one the bends didn't go to number one america kid A went to number one for one week and then i think people who were buying it because of the hype maybe thought to themselves well this is just a little bit too weird for me um but it was even more exciting when they took this stuff out on the road this is i would say the maybe Radiohead's greatest live era of all was the Kid A tour where they tried to take these really hermetic studio bound compositions and then find a way to play them with like five people on a stage. It was harder than it looked and they somehow managed to pull it off and uh, everybody's spirits were high and you thought, you know, wow, Kid A is such a masterpiece, such a left field masterpiece. They've somehow managed to survive, you know, the hype of OK Computer. They've come out with a complete change of direction that, that still feels organic Boy, the next album should be just as good and oh what is this i hear it's actually from the same sessions as kid a so like wow they recorded so much music in fact we we who were like super fans knew this because ed o'brien was keeping a diary online at the time and he was talking about the songs they were recorded and we were all very surprised when some of the ones that he mentioned prominently in that diary didn't get onto kid a and then we heard like oh there'll be another album next year the name of that album was amnesiac and everybody had really high expectations for it you know kid a was so wonderful. And then Amnesiac came out, and uh, boy, this is the first time I think uh, you can say that Radiohead kind of disappointed people. I have a very, very specific and very esoteric criticism of Amnesiac. I think it could have been. And its original version would have been as good as Kid A, uh, but that wasn't the version that we got. The version that we got was the adulterated final version that was released. And as released, there's just no getting away from the fact that the, the old rap on it remains true even to this day, that it there are some great songs on, on an Amnesiac, but ultimately it does end up, maybe because of the way it's structured, maybe because of some of the songs that were included, sounding like a basket of outtakes from Kid A rather than a coherent album itself. Now, uh, before I go into my very stupid <laughs> and very closely argued thesis, does somebody want to disagree with me or agree with me? I uh, We don't
2: know what your thesis is yet, but uh... – <laughs> But I mean, I, but I would not disagree with the critical consensus um, about this album. because I mean, it, it, in fact, it is almost a, a, literally a collection of outtakes from Kid A. And it feels to me kind of like, you know, the, the EP B-side companion to, to Kid A in the sense that uh, it complicates the landscape of Kid A a little bit and has some incredible hidden gems um and some and some great songs you know uh, pyramid song Are the ones that I would uh, pick out, but uh, but you know I think it I think it was an intentionally sort of minor album, and I think it builds up as a great album in its own right because it's Radiohead, and even their minor albums are great albums. Uh, but I'm but you know it's, I don't think it's a even really a criticism so much as just a factual statement to say that it is more of a, a, a sequel and, and companion to Kid A than it is its own. Standalone artistic statement.
0: And I would, I would just say everything I just said about Kid A doesn't apply to Amnesiac, which means I I listen to this album and think I I shouldn't like it and I and I don't. Nothing, <laughs> nothing really. <laughs> nothing really works. Uh, not nothing, but there's a large portion of this album that just does not grab me. Does not affect me the same way those Kid A songs do. And I know they're from the same session, so I I don't exactly know how to how to uh, describe why I I, I think the songs are even more detached even more at arm's length to the listener than than some kid a stuff i think the songs also are even are even more loose even even less uh wedded to any sort of standards of what we would consider you know pop music right um it's even dragged further away from that point and perhaps just a little too far from my ear i i don't know um I don't like the middle of the album, particularly the uh, uh, "You and Whose Army." I don't like. I might be wrong. I, that very repetitive guitar figure I don't like. Um, you know, my favorite part of the album probably is "Life in a Glass House," um, which is right the very last song on the album. And they brought in uh, this this, uh, this jazz band to play with them and kind of suggested to to, to do it in a specific way. "Life in a Glass House" sounds unplanned. Um, in, in great contrast to the way the rest of the album sounds, which is very proper and very painstakingly sequenced and very painstakingly arranged. Life at a Glass House actually has somewhat of a loose feel to it, um, and that, that's probably why I like it the best from the album.
3: Of course I like to share.
0: Knives Out, uh, and the first track, Peck Like Sardines at a Crushed Tin Box. I like that one all right, too. There's a lot of this that just doesn't work, and I hesitate to call it a bad album because, you know, Pyramid Song's there, and everyone really likes Pyramid Song, and I like Life in a Class House, but, man, it's certainly not one I'd grab and, and put on, you know, as I... <laughs> Or do anything, clean the house, or go for a, a car ride, or it's just a really—you don't really, want to clean
1: the house to poke, pull, revolving doors. I, I
0: don't, I don't think so. That, that, that grinding industrial kind of beat, nah, not so much. So this is certainly the first one I would consider a I don't know, subpar or disappointing. It just, it really does not work for me. I
1: just talked earlier about how Kid A is an incredibly well-sequenced album, and that's one of its strengths. And I think Radiohead, in particular, paid a huge amount of attention to track sequencing. They did. They, you know, they've talked about this. That you know, their big criticism of Pablo Honey is that they didn't actually do the sequencing of that album themselves; someone else did, and they think it really harmed the record. Um, it's from the bends onward, they've really been sticklers about like, what do you include, what do you exclude, how do you arrange songs, how do you present them to create an entire effect and i couldn't agree more with that i'm I'm a big believer in the fact that albums can be greater than the sum of their parts uh, when they come across as you know an entire work a whole presentation that you sit down and you listen to for like 40 minutes or so kid a was a smashing success on that level it's an album that almost begs to be listened to from start to finish amnesiac could have been the same way because its original version had a different track listing Until Tom York freaked out at the last second and withdrew one of their best songs. In fact, I think one of their best B-side ever and one of their best songs may make my top five at the end. It's a song called Cut Tooth. Uh, It was released as a B-side of Knives Out. you know later that year uh, that was originally supposed to go in the slot where hunting bears is now uh, it was supposed to dollars and cents it was supposed to crossfade into cut tooth and then life in a glass uh, then like spinning plates and life in a glass house would have concluded the album and if that album had been released as had been originally planned before tom york got the yips people would talk about this as if not an equal then a absolutely worthy companion to kid a because Albums are like Jenga towers, as it turns out. You can remove just one brick from them, and the entire structure will come falling down. With Cuttooth on the album, where it was originally intended to be, amnesiac would have a sense of rising drama, a climax. Cuttooth would be the climax, the catharsis of this record. I don't know why I feel so tongue-tied. I don't know why I feel so skin-tied. A very haunting coda to the entire Kid A amnesiac experience like Spinning Plates this very weird ghostly backwards song it's actually another song they tried to record during the sessions played backwards with Tom York singing a backwards vocal on top of it. A lot of you know, studio game crackery on that one. And then Life as a Glass House as a sort of final valediction to the entire era. When you take that song out, as they did, because they, they, I'm pretty sure the reason they took it out is because they thought that they would never be able to play it, and they didn't want to have to listen to people asking them why they weren't playing the best song on their record. Then what you have is an album that feels like a pile of rubble like a Jenga tower that's collapsed. It feels like pieces. That's my problem with Amnesiac. Now, this is a very, very specific and very nerdy critique, but I guarantee (laughs) you that if you go reassemble that album, you put Cut Tooth in where it was supposed to be, coming out of dollars and cents, right before like spinning plates you're going to hear this album in a very different way because suddenly all the stuff that you've gone through up until that point makes sense it builds from morning bell amnesiac building into dollars and cents finally having this breakthrough and this catharsis and you know uh you know i'll find another skin to wear i'll find another skin to wear on this cut tooth which is a, a great you know tribute to krautrock it's very new noi uh very noi inspired this is a band that uh, german band that did a lot of really great albums in the 70s um but as it is no the thing sounds it sounds like a collection of individual tracks some of which are very good but none of which cohere and uh it was the first misstep that radiohead would make i think creatively in their career after they sort of found their footing with the bends and the next misstep would be kind of in the opposite direction with hail to the thief Hail to the Thief is an album where, with one exception, I like every single song. This is from 2003. This is their big follow-up to the Kid A Amnesiac stuff. and uh, It's a lot more immediate musically in most ways. There's only one song on this record that I actively dislike. That's The Gloaming. Uh, It's an electronic experiment that they like and they still play to this day, but that I have no time
3: for.
1: (laughs) Um, But... The real problem with Hail to the Thief is that it's too damn long. They recorded all these songs, and instead of saying, well, you know what, we're going to save some of these for the B-sides or something like that, they put 14 on them. This is the longest Radiohead album ever. I think it's like 55, 56 minutes. They would have been far better served by making a much shorter album this is a lesson that they learned in subsequent years and very consciously adhered to they should not have thrown so many songs on this record and the thing about halo the thief is that nobody can agree and i've ever met on which songs that they would remove from it i'm sure <laughs> the ones that i take off are totally different
2: than your guys picks yeah this is i think i told you my least favorite album although it's also when I finally got to see them in concert, so I'm conflicted about it. Um, and uh, I feel indulge me a little bit. I do want to tell the story of my my struggle to see Radiohead live. So after that first concert got canceled because their gear truck was stolen, the next time they came through town, they all got sick in like Omaha or wherever it was. They had their previous stop on the tour, so the Denver show was canceled. That one at least I got my money back. And then uh, <laughs> and then Jeff, you and I both tried to go to this festival that they played in, it was in Manassas,
1: right? Yeah, it was in Bull Run in Manassas, Virginia. They were going to play two shows. They had two shows there. It
2: was a two-day festival, and they were headlining both days. And so, of course, you and I had tickets for both days. And and it was a rain or shine show. It said right on the tickets, rain or shine. Uh, But then as my friend and I were pulling up uh, on the highway, there were big electronic signs out that said that the whole festival had been canceled because of rain. Uh, and so we stopped and like asked the trooper, like, what do you mean it's canceled because of rain? It says right here that it's rain or shine. And he said, and he looked at us and was like, lady, that field is so flooded. The porta potties are floating. So that's why we, I couldn't see that particular show. And then I left the country for a couple of years and, and then I came back to go through cancer treatment. And so I decided that as my sort of uh, make a wish foundation that I would sponsor for myself, I was going through chemotherapy in Denver and so I just treated myself to concert tickets at Red Rock for that entire summer to every show that came through town Um, and uh, Red Rock shows are all general admission and it's an amazing venue and I am glad that that's where I got to see my first Radiohead show and I remember my my little brother and and I, we had tickets but we got there, you know, six or eight hours early just to, to sit in the line so that we would have the best seats when the doors finally opened. Um, so yeah, I, I do, I think Hail to the Thief is a bit of a cul-de-sac for the band sonically. It feels like they were trying on something that wasn't really them. And of course it's Radiohead. So they made it interesting and they made some nice songs out of it, but as a style, I don't think it works for them. And it it also does seem like a little bit of a product of this time in music and in the world, uh, where there's, you know, there's a lot of like, indie rock coming out that is very mannered and so and and hail to the thief has some of those influences where it feels to me very mannered very ornate very very baroque and this is also you can see it in in the album art and in some of the the merch that came out with this album so uh you know i do like you said it's hard to decide what songs you would take out even though there's clearly too many and i do in spite of myself find myself coming back to a lot of these songs they'll one of them will get stuck in my head for some weird reason i'll be walking down the street and i'll hear that you Know incantatory uh, almost uh, folk music, start to uh, wolf at the door and and, and, and can't shake it. Or uh, mixing with doses, I really like, I just think mm-hmm. that's actually just a great song.
3: I don't know why I feel so tongue-tied.
2: like this weird set piece but it but it kind of works uh um i don't like uh we suck young blood. i do like the gloaming although it's it's too loud it's too long sorry um uh and and so and uh back drifting, like again it's it's like catchy but i don't think it quite works so this is like to me a sort of collection of uh whereas amnesiac i guess we were saying was a disjointed collection of songs this is a collection of disjointed songs to me um and i think they ended up coming out of this cul-de-sac and going somewhere else uh, at the end of it. So that shows their good judgment, at least. But I also think that when, when it's your favorite band, you you go with it, whatever they try, right? Whatever they're trying to do, you think, well, maybe if I don't react to this positively, maybe they know something I don't and maybe I should listen to it more and convince myself to like it. Uh, and so, uh, and so I really tried with this album and I listened to it a lot, uh, trying to, trying to enjoy it as much as I had, enjoyed their other albums, and I never quite got there, but I do appreciate it.
0: Scott? I think that there is some really good qualities to Hail to the Thief. Um, we talked previously about how carefully planned those songs on Kid A and Amnesiac are in terms of how some of the more modern production elements, and so, you know, the blips and bloops and s- samples and and, and and things were were sort of interspersed with with instrumentation this is a song this is an album where those things appear to me to be in friction in in in, in fighting with each other in a way in many of the songs' it's an, it's an interesting change and uh interesting sonic uh feel to a lot of the album I, I think Phil Selway plays a great drum kit on a really good portion of this album um look, two plus two equals five you know the first uh song I, I, the the, the uh, guitars really carry that song it's the first time you can say that about already had song for 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 a while i think there are there are so many little songs on here i actually like quite a bit i don't know if any of them are you know career defining or among the very best but uh, have elements that are really good um uh, where I end and you begin—that that kind of tribal rhythm that that it has, and the way that Selway and Greenwood with the bass and drums really create this this, this incredible rhythm, and a very understated vocal performance from Tom York. Um, I like that song. I'm Molly mentioned, where those synths kind of re, uh, replacing the guitar parts on the album. You feel very disoriented listening to that song. It's a very dense song with some odd time signatures, and I think it works really well. Uh, a Wolf at the Door, uh, where Tom York is perhaps delivering his fastest vocals. It's a very, very fast-paced, very quick song uh, in his lower range. the Words just kind of spill out of his mouth through the, the verses on A Wolf at the Door. I like that one quite a bit too. I don't know if there's anything that that's really stand out, classic, you know, very best. But there are a lot of pieces here that I think that uh, that, that many listeners w- would like, and it's it's fairly accessible. Uh, I, I think, especially compared to, of course, the last couple of albums uh, for for like a first time listener. And you know, where do you go from Amnesiac? That you know, they restore some of the song structures here. They bring back. Some of the guitars, I mean, Go to Sleep might be their most conventional song since at least OK Computer, uh, and that, that's, a, that's a good one, too. Um, but, you know, as Jeff mentioned, and I think everyone agrees. The band agrees, the producer agrees. There are too many songs on this album to try to make a, a uniform statement or uniform, have a uniform purpose to what the album really was going to be. But there are really some pieces here that are
1: quite good. The, the thing about Hail to the Thief is that the weirdest moments— the ones that I think the Molly says, you know, like oh, these cul de sacs, these dead ends. I like those ones actually for the most part. And I think that they're among Radiohead's most successful, uh, you know cameos of this era so I Will is a song that Radiohead had been kicking around since the OK Computer era <clears throat> they tried to record it for Kid A it, they failed and their failure ended up becoming like spinning plates they literally reversed the track and it became like spinning plates mm. uh, they finally recorded I Will here for Hail of the Thief and they just did it as a very quiet acoustic guitar uh, and, or not acoustic but it's like a quiet electrified guitar and then three part very tight harmonies it's, it's, it's a song that's under two minutes long and it's intensely emotional and i think just a very beautiful little moment that people forget about people forget about scatterbrain scatterbrain may be my favorite song on this album scatterbrain is, is a song you know where york again there's apocalyptic images you know like i'm walking out in a full force 10 gale you're, you're birds thrown around bullets for hail the roof is you know the roof's just collapsing around you and uh, it's just These 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 harrowing images set to this incredibly peaceful, calm, contemplative music. And 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 York singing in his most melodic and sweet voice. That song, I love Backdrifts. Molly didn't like Backdrifts. I think Backdrifts is, is again, another triumph on this record. You know, it, not only the whole, you know, we're rotten fruit, we're damaged goods, lyrics, but then all of a sudden it just breaks into that cheeky little piano solo in the middle of the song when you least expect it to. It's all these very digital, bleepy, bloopy sounds, and then all of a sudden, oh, you know, here's Tom York sitting at his piano playing, you know, the, this, this little melodic and harmonic line comes out of nowhere. It really works wonderfully for me. Oh, oh.
3: If I'm
1: I think This Fails are some of the more conventional moves. I think Go to Sleep is a boring song. It doesn't even know how to end. It just fades out. A Radiohead song fading out is usually a bad sign. <laughs> they're, they're, they're a band that really thought hard about how they wanted to begin and end songs so when they fade a piece out it's because they really just don't know what to do with it and i think go to sleep just kind of feels a little bit lazy as a songwriting exercise i think you know some of the, this is the first album where they toured the music live before they recorded it they, they, they went to iberia to, to spain and portugal and they toured all of this music over there played it all live first to just get a get a sense of what it would sound like which is one of the reasons why it, it feels like a much less studio bound album than its too predecessors but something like sit down stand up is a song that feels to me like they fell in love with it by playing it live and they didn't realize that absent the spectacle of watching all the lights flash you know that it it doesn't sound like much of anything on a record it it doesn't really have any real purpose the gloaming for me feels the same way about it and of course the last thing is you know we talk about songs that you, you find yourself humming on the street well you know just like molly a wolf at the door is one of those that comes back to me it feels like a song that's it's ever more relevant for the age of social media and you know like Twitter mobs and things like that. And I try to I keep the wolf from the door, but he calls me up, you know, you know, calls me on the phone, tells me all the ways that he's gonna mess me up, steal all my children, you know, if I don't pay the ransom, and I'll never see them again if I squeal to the cops. Oh God! And at the end, he's just so overwrought with 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 fear that all he can do is, and I just go, ooh. Ooh, those beautiful little soaring oohs at the end of the song just say so much in their frustration, their their nonverbal frustration. I keep
3: the world from the dawn.
1: So, I think there are great moments on this. Of course, the one that most people will mention is There There, a song which is perfectly cromulent it's a great song everyone else loves it it's it's one of their, their mainstays and their standards but I don't know it's like, to me it's like the karma police of Hail to the Thief I've just heard it so many times it's 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 so sturdy and well done it has you know the double drums or tr- there are three drums tracks on that album there's Phil playing drums and then both Johnny and Ed are playing timpanis uh, you know up front and if you've ever seen them do it live it's quite the spectacle live But, um, you know, as a song that I listen to, does it stick with me? No, it doesn't stick with me. And ultimately, this is, you know, the rap on Hail to the Thief is that there are lots of great moments. We're talking about a band whose quality control is so consistent that even on this album that I'm criticizing, I can't really recognize any songs that I think are absolute garbage except for the one that I've mentioned already. They're all good. Um, But they didn't know how to edit themselves. And that's a mistake that they would rectify very, very soon on their next album. And I think the one thing I want to point out is that as a fan, when I was listening to Radiohead at this point in their career, I had thought that they had peaked and they were on the downslope. It was very easy for somebody sitting around in 2003, 2004. I thought, well, Hell of a Thief, that's a good album. You know, it's a lot to love about that record, but it's clearly not as good as Kid A. And Amnesiac was clearly not as good as Kid A. So it just seems like, well, we know what the trajectory of this group is going to be. You know, every group has their peak, and then they tail off, and then they become a lesser band yeah it seems like radiohead's peak clearly was okay computer and kid a and i just thought that was it It it's like a baseball player they have their great years and then at the end of their career they're just not as good as they used to be although they're still a hall of fame group um i was completely flummoxed completely flummoxed in every way by what came next and what came next was the best album that radiohead has ever recorded yeah, the best album that Radiohead will ever record in my opinion unless they completely shock me and that's In Rainbows. In Rainbows was first the songs were first demoed in 2006. It was released in 2007 with the most hilarious strategy ever where they literally released it online and they they told their fans that you can pay what you want. Uh you don't have to pay anything if you don't want. I I like a fool paid uh You know, $60 for the import two CD box set because that's the kind of fan I am. But when In Rainbows came out, it completely shocked me and it forced me to reevaluate what I understood about this band and their career trajectory because In Rainbows is a miracle as. That, that that's so bizarre that i almost feel like they're on the musician equivalent of steroids this is like barry bonds's late seasons with the giants where he's hitting like 70 home runs and he should be like falling apart because he's in his 40s that's how good in rainbows was for me um again this is the point where i want you to all tell me that i'm a perfect ho- person who has wonderful taste or i'm completely
0: wrong so first of all you're not alleging performance enhancing drugs on behalf of uh, radiohead right no yeah for, yeah yeah. they were they were totally on the deck <laughs> <laughs> um yeah this is good i like you i i uh i can't i paid something i can't remember what i paid you know it said you know fill in the box what do you want to pay i paid something i did i got this one when it was uh when it was released and that even that first track i mean 15 step that's ah, a good song it's a skittering beat very fluid guitar line there's a great bass line in 15 step which is a little bit buried uh in the mix um And this unstoppable drum beat, right, that that just carries that song the whole way through. Fifteen Step is really, really good. Um, which is a song that dates back, to, uh, what, 1998 or so, that the fans liked. but played a, a lot of concerts, and uh, they, they do it here. It's a it's a really sweet and beautiful song. Some backward strings and the choir open things up. Just a very simple bass drum driven song, but uh, beautiful, beautiful track. Uh, weird fishes. It uh, sounds sort really like a, like like Johnny Mars playing guitar with uh, those those uh, arpeggios, those track arpeggios on the uh, on the guitar. It's a it's a really good song, and I want to mention uh, oh, Jigsaw Falling into Place, which I really love. Um, it's this driving acoustic guitar loop, uh, and then later in the, in the in the track, this ascending electric riff. Tom York gets to use really his entire range from a low register to a high register it just builds to a great pace late it has a great end to the song jeff talked about how radiohead knows how to end songs what they want to do uh jigsaw falling into places is, is is one that i think they, they 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 just know exactly what they want to do with it um and um you know from start to finish it's a very very good album it's not as dark or or, or angry or kind of introspective lyrically i think and uh, there's a lot of beautiful moments, right, uh, in, in the way that this is put together. Um, you know, nude is, is a really beautiful song. Um, you know, Reckoner uh, has that very slinky falsetto delivery from 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 York in it, and this clanging percussion. So many good moments on uh, In Rainbows. It was worth uh, what, whatever pennies I paid for it, it. It was worth it. Yeah, well,
2: so In Rainbows is also my favorite Radiohead album. Um, but. Uh, it's so cohesive to me that it almost feels like a single song. It's almost one of those, you know, concept albums or rock operas where it all blends in together for me. And I actually, to be honest, have to go back and look at the, uh, and and, uh, play some songs to remember which one is which almost, uh, in part because not all of them have very much to do with their titles, but also uh, because it just is so whole in my mind. And I, I completely agree with what you were saying, Jeff, about, um, Sort of uh, the journey of this album because, um, you know, I think I had accepted after Hail to the Thief that, like, maybe this, maybe my favorite band was going to be a sort of has been, right? That, like, they'd keep making albums that I listened to, like, a, I don't know, a Tom Petty or Paul Simon or something, but, like, m- but they would never really break through uh, to most people and they would be sort of just follow up material to the greatest things that the band had, had done in its prime, right? I was sort of ready for that. I'd raised myself, I'd accepted it. Uh, and then this came along and just, it's, it's just this, this perfect arc. I felt, I felt like with Pale of the Thief and even maybe some of the, some of the stuff before it, the the band was going in this very cerebral direction and it really been, um, adopted by the sort of music nerd community and was being celebrated for so many of its, its technical characteristics and the way that it ordered its chord changes and all of these things that I don't really understand. I mean, I'm a musician, but not a music theory person. And, um, and 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 this to me was when the band got its heart back. It was an emotional album. It was a sentimental album in the way that it was a vulnerable album in the way that Hell to the Thieves had not been. It was just this naked and emotional at the same time as it was incredibly you know sophisticated and bitter and raw. But it was but but to me this this album has more soul to it uh, than anything that Radiohead uh, made. And 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 to me um, so the, the 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 sort of Emotional high points to me in this album are All I Need, uh, Reckoner, and sort of unavoidably videotape. they've ever been that they've ever done and it and it combines it's so existential um and it has that i don't some of their songs seem to go from place to place and and, and at the same time stay in one place and tread water uh and and that to me I, I don't know if that makes any sense as a description but but videotape uh does that for me and 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 just yeah just this whole album i don't remember what i paid for it either but i i, I every band has some kind of you know, conflicted relationship with the music business, particularly every successful band. And and the way that they released this album seems sort of prescient in retrospect to now that we're in the era of like surprise releases and digital releases and everything like that. Um, but it's also this like sort of perfect satire and, and critique of of the music business. It's like sort of challenging people to like, do you really want to give these rich people yet more money? Like, how do you think about the value of music? What does it mean to you and what price do you put on that? Uh, and And so I like that aspect of it as well.
1: There are so many things I could say about it in Rainbows that uh, it's just tragic that I'm not going to be able to get them all out. I I think that the first thing I want to say is that, for me, the tale of a song is something that I've always been obsessed with when it comes to Radiohead. And you see two perfect examples of that on this record. Uh, First with videotape, um, which I don't like. The only weak spot on In Rainbows, on the entire album, the only thing that I dislike about it is what happened to to videotape. When they first played that song, they they did another, just like they did with Halo the Thief. They did a tour in 2006. It was a great tour. I think a lot of people would say it's it's close to their best live era where they debuted all these new songs. They played them live to sort of, again, to get a feel for how they want to tackle them in the studio. And when they played videotape, there was like an actual ripple that went through the entire Radiohead fan community. They opened... The first, the debut performance of that song, they opened their show with it. And if you're familiar with how this song goes, this is probably one of the most elegiac, one of the saddest songs in their entire catalog. With York saying, like, you know, when I'm at the pearly gates, this will be on my videotape. This is my way of saying goodbye because I can't do it face to face. But whatever happens, I won't be afraid because this is the best day that's ever been. It's so sad. It's so beautiful. It's so perfect. And the way they originally played it was, you know, as this just intensely syncopated song where you think it's just him at the piano playing, and then all of a sudden the drum kicks in, and then the guitars come in, and it becomes this roaring, flaming climax, and it's just an enormous emotional catharsis. wait for this to come out on the album this is going to be amazing this is clearly the best of the new batch of songs and then when it was finally released on in rainbows it's this very quiet almost desiccated uh you know sounding version that it feels like you know the last twitches of a man lying in a hospital bed dying uh, a, a very different take on it and the excuse they they offered when people asked them "Well, why did you change the approach is they said well you know we just had trouble nailing it in the studio i don't know if that's right or if they just fell in love approach and then followed it down that rabbit hole but i always consider it a, a loss where they lost the heart of that song when they released it and then the opposite version of that for me is nude nude when i heard they were reviving that i expected them to destroy it to blow it to absolutely to like you to make a hash out of it, I thought. Well, nothing good is going to come of them trying to bring this song back because I had seen in 2002 they had tried to do a new version of Lift, um, and it was not good. It, it just they, they changed it all around. They you know they they did the kind of things that that bands that have lived with songs for far too long end up doing. They overthought it, and I thought well they're going to do the same thing to Nude. Nude was a song that Radiohead fans had loved for years years i mean at this point literally a decade and so i was very skeptical of what they were going to do and then when i finally heard the in rainbows version i was so staggered by how they had completely changed the song and yet improved it in almost every single respect they edited out verses they changed the structure of the song but they never lost the soul of the song, and they somehow made it even more powerful than it was when it was uh, you know, a, f- a fun lost outtake and a live song in 1998. When York does that final ending where he, says, you know, he just sings, you'll go to hell for what your dirty mind is thinking. This is a song about guilt. So many songs on this album are about sex and guilt. It seems to be a, a kind of an ongoing theme with York. He sings, you'll go to hell for what your dirty mind is thinking, and then the rest of the song is just him ooing. Ooing and eyeing with these beautiful harmonies at the end and strings that come in. And it's just the most glorious thing in the world that I would never have thought that they were capable of claiming from a song that they had spent so much time worrying over for the past 10 years. things i want to say about uh in rainbows which again is my favorite radiohead album i mean again you could talk about every song you could talk about body snatchers i want to talk about a song called house of cards which when it first came out on this album most people identified as their least favorite track from the album and I kind of didn't like it initially at first, but I've since come to believe it's probably one of the most powerful and subtle things that Tom York has ever written. This is a song that people think of as kind of a sexy love song. It sort of it floats gently. You have that 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 little dub sound and these 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 you know very gently kind of almost cropper esque you know uh, electric guitar lines that carry it along. And when you listen more carefully to the lyrics, you find out that's not what this song is about at all. He says, "I don't want to be your friend. I just want to be your lover." Well, that sounds like it could be like a fun, casual pickup line. Uh, but then you, there's there's other things that come up that sound dissonant, like throw your keys in the bowl, kiss your husband goodnight. And then what you realize is that this is a song that was written about a book called The Ice Storm that was turned into a film about swinger couples in the 70s, about sex without uh, any meaning, sex without any sort of attachment uh, within the bounds of a committed relationship. and you realize that this isn't a sexy song at all this is a song of condemnation and of quiet horror where at the ear at the end of the song you know you know york is singing denial denial and in the background your ears should be burning your ears should be burning and you don't even realize that that's what the song is about unless you pay attention to the music as well which has this very queasy queasy dubby underlying oceanic sound to it that makes it clear that they're trying to undercut The sort of sensualness of the lyric, you know, and and of the melody that, that, that might make you think this is supposed to be an appealing song. But no, they're actually, this is a warning. This is a warning that very few people seem to pick up on. I love a song that works on multiple levels, and House of Cards is one of those. say is Reckoner. Reckoner is the greatest Radiohead song of all time. There you go. I think Reckoner. Reckoner is a song that was originally written by accident. They were trying to do a song called Feeling Pulled Apart by Horses, uh, you know, about which the less said the better. It's not a very good song. Tom York did a solo version of it eventually. Uh, and they were trying to write like a, a coda for it, a little like an ending bit that might add some more melodic interest to the song. And instead, they just got carried away with that little ending bit and they turned it into this thing. Reckoner is Tom York singing almost exclusively in falsetto uh, to a very pounding, skittery drumbeat in the background and a bunch of arpeggiated guitar chords and is to me the most Radiohead that Radiohead ever got in the best possible sense of mystery, sadness and transcendent beauty. When it comes in for that final verse, where he says, "Ready, a reckoner, take me with you, dedicated to all human beings," and then the strings come in as they fade out. Um, if I had to take one song of theirs to the desert island with me, that will be the one. That is the uh, the finest moment of their career, as far as I'm concerned.
0: though um yeah there's a second disc we're in rainbows that jeff had because you spent what 60 dollars 80 dollars on the on the two cd set right <laughs> yes
1: yeah and that was what i mean when i said they learned how to edit themselves these would have been uh you know probably stuck onto the album to its detriment if they had put it on there but instead they released a second disc of sort of b sides, but really it's sequenced like a mini album and I think most of these songs are the equals of what was put onto the record itself. I see why they were excluded. They didn't quite fit. Down is the New Up, great song, didn't quite fit. Uh, Go Slowly, didn't quite fit. Bangers and MASH, boy, that's a rave. That entire thing is, everything on that song is sampled except the vocal. Hmm. It's all just tape loops. Every single part of that, drums, guitars, everything is just a loop. Uh, and the only thing that isn't is, uh, that, that, that should have gone on the album is four minute warning, which I consider to be a better song in its studio version than videotape. And in my perfect world would have ended in rainbows, but who cares? <laughs> uh,
0: it, I, I like up the ladder, uh, quite a bit and bangers and match, like you said, just a big drum sound and, uh, uh time works. Vocals are really, uh, pretty strong on that, on that track too. But yes, you can understand how those don't necessarily fit exactly what they were trying to sequence. On in rainbows, so it makes sense to sort of throw them off to the uh, to the bonus disc. Uh, it's political beats. Scott Bertram, Jeff Blair, and with us Molly Baum, national political correspondent for Time and a CNN political analyst, talking about Radiohead with a couple albums to go. The the time between albums now would lengthen a bit, and, and I think maybe
1: that's the point where we might want to say something about the solo careers oh, of these sure. guys. You know I, I'm actually for for a person who's an obsessive compulsive radiohead fan, I don't really rate Tom York's John Greenwood's solo careers that highly. I think uh, there's one album that I think is is really a, is a secret kind of a hidden masterpiece, and that's Tom York's debut solo album that came around came out right around the time of In Rainbows. It's really kind of a part of the same batch of songs, and that's The Eraser, which I think is a masterpiece. I love that song. I love that album. I love you know stuff like And It Rained All Night and Analyze that come from that record. Um, but I really don't care for the rest of his solo career. And hey, Phil Selway has released like what three solo albums. I haven't listened to any of them. Me, Mr. Obsessive Radiohead Fan, I haven't listened to any of Phil's albums. But Molly, I think you actually are kind of a fan of these these solo <laughs> records. And I wondered if you had any thoughts you wanted to share.
2: Yeah, well, Phil's solo stuff um in particular I really like, but it's completely different. I mean, if you like sort of wimpy folk folk rock, uh and uh and, and like very yeah singer songwritery stuff feel like Bill's solo stuff. It's so gentle it almost puts you to sleep, but it's but the melodies are just incredible and it's incredibly haunting, uh, particularly uh, particularly his first solo album. But I also feel like, you know, as an obsessive fan having listened and intently to everything any of the boys ever released, um, I agree with you about the eraser, although there's a there's a disc of remixes um, of the eraser that was released that to me is better than the eraser um, where I don't know who it was exactly, but like they've they remixed a bunch of uh, the eraser tracks and they just come out much more funky and interesting. I think the problem with Tom solo stuff is it can be uh, uh, quite, quite antiseptic, right? It can be very cold uh, and, and it kind of, to me, gives me an insight into what each of the, the boys are bringing to the band when you can tell that like what Tom is doing is very much the sort of uh, the, 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 tinkering with, uh, with, with beats and electronica and the, and the, and, and he's really interested in all of this experimental stuff, but it ends up, it, it ends up lacking some kind of oomph. It ends up uh, lacking a little bit of heart. I think I mean, Johnny, you know, does, uh, does this orchestral composing and movie soundtracks that goes in sort of the opposite direction. It's so dreamy and so atmospheric. It doesn't, Doesn't have any spine to it uh, at all, but you can tell that, like you know, Radiohead wouldn't be what Radiohead is without that added to the mix. And then, uh, but it's but it is funny. You would not necessarily think that Phil uh, was was bringing some of that real um, melodic uh, sensibility. But you could. But listening to his solo stuff to me was a real revelation uh, in uh, sort of what his uh, orientation is as a musician and what he is 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 bringing to the band because his solo stuff is just is just is just beautiful it's just it's just pretty songs uh and again kind of kind of wimpy songs but they're (laughs) but they're really nice and really well crafted songs so i think you should listen to to Phil's records
1: well now i feel guilty molly (laughs) now 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 i feel a feel how can i how can i truly be a radio super fan
2: to fall back on
1: All right, well, this, of course, brings us to, uh, boy, I don't think any album in Radiohead's career has landed with a bigger thud than their follow-up to In Rainbows. Again, wildly anticipated, because In Rainbows had raised the bar. Uh, Finally, in 2012, uh, here comes, or 2011, I believe, here comes The King of Limbs. Radiohead has a new album out. I think if I'm trying to explain to... uh, people who aren't like big radiohead fans how this album was greeted by the fan base i will only explain it like this that for a very long time for months there was like you know like q there was a secret like there was a cult belief that radiohead actually had a sequel album <laughs> waiting in the wings the king of limbs part <laughs> two that they were going to release and that hints clues about its provenance would be found in the publicity photos that the band had taken around this time and this is the way that diehard Radiohead fans were trying to process the fact that they were so disappointed with this 8 song 33 minute long piece of work that they had been waiting for 6 years to hear and they felt like it was basically what? A- a- an afterthought to them. They could not comprehend that they had waited all this time to get so little music Nobody really has much good to say about the King of Limbs these days, but I will defend it. And the thing I will defend the most about it, ironically enough, is that with time, now that we're no longer sitting here with bated breath waiting for the next Radiohead album, I think its brevity is a key virtue. I like the fact that Radiohead just has eight songs. These are the eight things that we need to say. And they say them, and they get out of town. And they do not waste your time. They do not overstuff the album. Again, they learned the lesson of Hail to the Thief. They released some other stuff around this time. Super Collider, a really great B-side. Staircase, The Butcher, uh, The the Daily Mail. These could have all been put onto the album, but they wisely chose not to. They chose to leave them as sort of off-cuttings from these same sessions instead of trying to force them onto the record. They left the record as a very tightly crafted cohesive whole and i think the king of limbs is a lot better than people make it out to be with the one exception of pharaoh which should have been a b-side i don't know why this weird instrumental track is on my my album my radiohead album that i waited all this time for but uh i'm sure scott you will have you know many terrible things to say about this least loved of radiohead records
0: no you see that's where you're wrong my friend i uh uh, you know i'm not a super fan and i wasn't waiting with bated breath for its release so i i acknowledge that i probably hear it differently than many Radiohead, uh, Radiohead fans did at the time of release, but I really, really, really like this record. Um, uh, Morning, Mr. Magpie, Little by Little, Back to Back, Right at the Start. Man, those are good songs. Um, it's a little more I don't know, kind of kind of jazzy. It's a little less um, in-your-face. I, 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 that's not the best term to use, but it's certainly something that, that can be in the background and kind of absorb it. Uh, Morning Mr. Magpie has this two-note kind of funk groove to it. Choppy guitar, which is kind of par for the course. That choppy guitar reminds me of of uh, Too Much Blood from the Rolling Stones, which uh, from the undercover album, which I kind of have a, a soft spot for. But it's got a very tense, kind of icy uh, feel to it. I really like that song. Little by Little, Little by little reminds me of, of, of what Beck was doing around that time too and you know s- same producer for some of those works of course with uh, Beck going over to do or I'm sorry Nigel going over to do some Beck stuff but little by little this is rattling percussion sparse guitar figures here and there I like that one a lot A really beautiful uh, ballad, this piano ballad that that contains all of its energy. It never quite explodes, right? It just kind of, it it just exists. Um, it, it's it's very simple. It has this trumpet counterpoint to the piano that that kind of pushes it forward. And this barely audible beat in the background, like Codex quite a bit. Uh, Give up the ghost, where uh, I don't know how many Tom Yorks are singing. Or there's like this multi-layered kind of looping vocal to it haunting quality to it um i like
1: only one time york is singing it's actually an amazing trick he has a repeater pedal this is he does this live so what he does is he literally just sings the loop you know don't haunt me don't haunt me and then that will keep playing and then i'll play the riff and then that will keep playing and so he can just do it all live and that was how it was recorded in the studio technology is a heck of a
0: thing on that song that's incredible i mean that that just sounds great and so I mean, heck! I just named like five of the eight tracks. Um, I, 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 again, I didn't have the expectations. I had no uh, no expectations going into it. But again, this is an album that is different. Every incarnation, with you know, maybe the exception of Amnesiac, which which you know uses some some leftover tracks from from Kid A, is really a different edition of Radiohead. This is no different. It's a it's a different feel. It's a different grouping of songs. But and I know, you know, just on my reading of, uh, of 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 reviews and how fans think of it, that it's not beloved. But I, I think it's awfully good, awfully good.
1: I think it, it's one of those albums that if you're not there at the time, waiting again, waiting like with, you know, your your knuckles ground down to like you know nubbins for the next Radiohead album to come out, and you just can you know take it all in retrospectively, it's a fine record. It was just so weirdly anticlimactic, I think, for people at the time, which is why, again, they were like trying to come up with conspiracy theories. Like, that's not all, folks. Trust me, we're going to be getting an entire new album. I promise. I promise. No, no, that was all Radiohead had to say. That was that was that was, that was the statement. Um, I, I think for me, the standout album, standout song on this album is "Separator," uh, the last song on the record. Again, you know, people always talk about Radiohead as a gloomy and depressive, uh, you know, band. This is easily the most optimistic song in their entire catalog you know about you know york you know like he's fallen out of bed from a long and vivid dream you know he's happy you know i'm free of all the things that have troubled me and then it ends with that final that that final repeating echo uh where you know if you think this is over then you're wrong if you think this is over then you're wrong. Beautiful moment, and I again think that it's a, it's a, not only a beautiful moment in and of itself, but it's a fine conclusion to I mean, their, their most unfairly panned album. Um, but Molly, uh, I don't know if if you uh, are on the hater bandwagon or are you on the uh, the secret <laughs> fan
2: wagon. Uh Yeah, so I don't have very much to add to what you guys said. Uh, I have very little to say about the King of Limbs. Uh, I wouldn't say I hate it. It, I just, uh, it. I'm in the I'm in the meh camp, not the hater camp or the I am I am psyched that we found the one big King of Limbs <laughs> fan out there to bring on this uh, broadcast. But no, I mean I just I honestly haven't listened to it that much. Uh, it doesn't stand out for me in any way. I uh, I also uh, you know would have liked as as an obsessive fan to have a little bit more to go on after so many years. But um, but yeah, I mean it, it is what it is.
1: So after the King of Limbs, Radiohead toured. They toured the album as is as, as their their habit for a couple of years, in fact. And then they fell into silence. And I, and I won't lie. I was sitting there, and, I, and nobody really had any updates. Of course, the band keeps a really tight lid on things. Very closed-lipped. I had kind of informally just made the assumption that they, if not had broken up, had just sort of decided to end it, that they'd gone dormant, that, yeah, that was it. You know, well, we're not going to hear any more music from Radiohead, and, well that's a shame, but, uh you know, that's just the way it is. And then, by gum, they did it to me again. They did it to me again. They just announced out of nowhere, hey, yeah, you know, we got a new album. It'll be out next month. Uh, you know, see you soon. And that, of course, happened in 2016, and this is their, to date, most recent record, A Moon-Shaped Pool, and again they 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 keep surprising me some of these some of these songs are uh, again years and years and years old one of them the last song on the record is in fact dates all the way back to 1995. a lot of them are very new but again it's a totally different feel from everything that they had done prior to this point a moon-shaped pool was greeted i think with essentially universally rapturous reviews Which I think is a little surprising to me, given that this is an album that is extremely quiet and very kind of, you know, meditative and contemplative, very sad, very dark, very inflected, I think, with the personal, uh, you know, sadnesses and tragedies of the the lives uh, of the members of the band. but. As far as a late period, mature statement, this is what I mean when I say, like, Radiohead is a band that I felt like I've grown up with. You know, as I've aged, they've aged. You know, they're not writing kind of mopey, depressive songs about teen angst anymore. When you listen to, you know, stuff like daydreaming, which clearly seems to be, we all thought it was, you know, when it came out about the dissolution of Tom York's relationship with his wife or his partner. I don't think they were ever formally married, but mm-hmm. they had two kids together. They'd been together for you know, decades. We are just happy to serve. This is, this is sad music for middle-aged, m- middle-aged art rockers, <laughs> um, and I, I think this is a very impressive album. I think it's it's better than you know Hail to the Thief for sure. It's better than Amnesiac for sure, um, and I know that a lot of people consider it to be one of their greatest records. I, I, I still don't know where I'm going to put it ultimately in their hierarchy. I think it's too soon to tell.
2: Yeah, I also I think impressive is exactly the right word um, because it's an album that I, I I want to like more than I actually do. I am impressed by it. Uh, it has many uh, impressive characteristics. The turn toward orchestral arrangements is very interesting, and sometimes it works for me, and sometimes it doesn't. I feel like there's a little bit too much strings in a lot of places. Um, and you're right, it is it is very middle aged. Uh, in its in its moods in this and, and, and so it has a maturity to it uh, that for the same reason you know uh, teenagers are exciting and, and old people are sometimes not uh, <laughs> uh, but 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 also uh, they, they're they're wiser and, and more grown up and they know more uh, that that's kind of the type of album that this is they're not writing the Moby Teenang songs anymore but they're also not really rocking. And I kind of miss, miss the rockin'. And Burn the Witch has a little bit of that. I think that's you know the, the most sort of catchy and jittery and sort of traditionally Radiohead song with the falsetto and and like low-flying panic attack. It's just a classic Radiohead lyric, right? It's like almost a motto of a lyric. Um, and I like, and, and I'd say that other songs that for me um, Approach that vibe would be Dex Dark and Desert Island Disc. That combo um, sort of kind of near the beginning. I think of it as the middle somehow. Um, but there's but the rest of it. I, there's a lot of sort of formless, dreamy stuff that's really pretty. Um, and maybe you have it on in the background, but it doesn't it doesn't catch my attention in the way um the way that a lot of their best stuff does. And then and then True Love Waits is a real is a really interesting arrangement, right, of this song that, as you mentioned, had been they they wrote literally decades ago, it comes out of a completely different phase of their consciousness and their, uh, their sensibility. Um, and you told the story earlier about you know being hit on by fans or, or beset by by fans in Japan. I actually didn't know any of that, but I do think of it as coming out of you know the motto "True Love Waits" came from that '90s moment of like promise keepers and purity balls, and so it was a slogan for the abstinence movement, right? Uh, and I love the way they take that and turn it around. So instead of being about how you know, if you love someone, you'll wait for them, then true love becomes the character that is waiting. It it has, it has agency and true love is almost this sinister thing that, that, that waits in, in, in corners and can jump out and surprise you. Um, so, so I, but, but it's really interesting the arrangement that they chose to, to record for this album, because it, it feels like it's at like half speed. Uh, and, uh, you know, they could have done it at least sort of twice as fast and made it much more of the kind of song that they would have, I think, made back in the 90s. Uh, but instead, it very much is in keeping with the dreamy vibe uh, of this record. Uh, and, and so it, it both it both fits and doesn't. Um, and, and and I wonder I wonder if this was the right place to, to finally drop, you know, this song that we had all known about for so long.
1: Scott, before I get to to my my little monologue, do you have any thoughts?
0: It's um, you know, I, I didn't notice this, and I read a review or something on on the uh, on the album. You know, the the, the songs are, are are tracked alphabetically, which I I just had not noticed until someone else pointed it yeah. out. But it's true. We, we immediately <laughs> noticed that on
1: the fan forums, and <laughs> it's it, you, you can tell that they, they changed the names of some songs, like sure. so. Um, uh, the numbers used to be known as Silent Spring, but they changed it to the numbers just so they could get that into alphabetical order. So obviously, they, they were having a little bit of goofy fun with that. We call upon people. People have this power. The
3: numbers don't the river
0: For this album, doesn't do a whole lot for me. I kind of like Desert Island Disc, um, but once the, the the back half, there's a, there's a string which goes what from a, a dedicate to the numbers to present tense that I really think f- you know is firing out all, all, all cylinders very well. Lots of orchestration here. The, the focus really is on the beauty of the tracks, right? It's it's how how just kind of st- stunning they can make this this combination of 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 melody and orchestration and lyric um i I dedicate has um probably one of the the the, the quicker beats on the record a big big chorus the broken hearts make it rain um and skittering beats which is of course kind of a trademark Tense um, has a very slinky rhythm too, and the lyrics there, you know, are I think some of the more most direct and and um, and o- obvious to the listener, right? Um, Don't get heavy, keep it light and keep it moving. I, I won't stop now, I won't slack off, or all this love will be in vain. A number of, of 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 lyrics in that song that are that are I think meant to be pretty obvious to to the listener. I know some of these songs are, as you guys have both mentioned, are some years old in some cases, going back to, to finally complete them. That's not really unusual, right, for the band. I mean, we talk oh. about doing that in Rainbows and other places, so it's not as if, you know, the, the Stones trying to, to mine the 72 Sessions for Tattoo You or something. It's, it's, it's a little different than that. And these songs finally have come to a place of completion where everyone feels comfortable with them. And yeah, it's a more uh, what uh, adult sound, I, I suppose, but really, the, you know, each album we've talked about has been a really different version of the band just in terms of sonically. And this is one where I think the, just the, again, the beauty of the songs and how they are putting those pieces together is what's almost most important to, to, to the music.
1: This is an album that's just haunted haunted by ghosts, haunted by specters of mortality, which is ironic given, of course, that Spectre is a song that was supposed to be on this album that was recorded for these sessions but didn't make it. There's a whole story behind that. But I remember when it was first released, everyone thought, well, okay, you know, they're, they're obviously very gloomy. This Everybody listened to this album and they heard it in the context of York splitting up from his his partner uh, of, of so many years. And then, literally a month later, She died of cancer, and this, of course, had been something that had been known to him and known to, obviously, everybody in the band, but was kept very quiet and was intensely private, and that completely altered my understanding, I think most people's understanding of what the music on this album was really about, something like daydreaming. You know, it, it takes on a completely different aspect when you realize that he's writing this in the, you know, both in the context of, of a long relationship that's fallen apart, but also that the mother of his child, who he still loves, is now, you know, dying young of terminal cancer. It's, you know, again, it's very dark. It's a very heavy thing, but it makes so much more sense. Glass eyes means so much more when you know it in that context. Even full stop, which seems to be like, a, a you know, this again is. Very much the fastest song on the record, again in another kind of annoy a Kraut Rock tribute, um, you know, The Truth Will Mess You Up. This is a song about failures in relationships. It sounds like he's criticizing himself, you know, how he really made a mess out of everything, and this is all my fault for doing this wrong. And, of course, the one where it comes most to the fore is in True Love Waits which is where I sort of went to the end of this journey. I talked about how songs change, meanings change over time. Back when that song was written in 1995, it meant one thing to York. It meant another thing to the fans who didn't understand its original import. But when he finally chose to re-record it in 2016 for A Moon-Shaped Pool... There is just absolutely no doubt in my mind that he recorded it with all of this in his mind and that it changed its meaning. It was no longer about like, you know, Japanese fans and all that. I did love the way that Molly talked about true love being like an actual character that will haunt you, jumps out at you at corners, it comes at you. And that's really what the song becomes about. It becomes about, you know, feelings of sadness, but also love and but, but also loneliness and, and forlornness. Abandon, you know, feeling like you know—have you abandoned them, or have they abandoned you? Uh, this is very, very contemplative sense of looking upon the end of a relationship, and maybe even the end of a life, and trying to make the most out of it. And I think, you know, for an album that's so haunted by these sorts of ghosts, as I said earlier, it's quite ironic that one of the best songs in this album—I think one of the, maybe one of the best songs of Radiohead's last fifteen career, fifteen years—is Spectre. A song that was left off the record. Now the story with Spectre is that they they have always been obsessed with James Bond. Radio Radiohead has, has, has done like at least three different attempts at James Bond music. They did Big Boots back during the Oak OK Computer Sessions. They did Down is the New Up, which is a Bond theme by any other name on, in Rainbows. And then they did Spectre. They actually contracted with the Bond producers to do the title track for the new the new film, which you know some of you have seen no doubt. And yet inexplicably when they submitted it to them the bond people said no i think we're going to go with this dippy sam smith number instead and they rejected it which blows my mind because specter would have been a beautiful beautiful song to put on that film and as it is again those 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 lyrics you know i'm lost i'm a ghost i'm dispossessed taken host you know the specter of my mortal soul is such a beautiful lyric and such a beautiful melody Put to these very somber piano chords and this sweeping, sort of cinematic, you know, orchestral backing. I, I I think it's one of Radiohead's finest songs. And and again, I have no idea why on earth. The producers of the bond films could have listened to this song and decided no now you know what this this majestic piece that will go down in history is one of the greatest bond themes ever we're going to reject it let's let's take some piffle that people are going to be making fun of sam smith for years for (laughs) and we'll do that instead i i I love specter and uh again i think it's to date it is the last word from radiohead it's where we close the book on them for now
0: and uh, that's where we end our discussion on the career of Radiohead here on Political Beats. We come to the uh, portion of the show where each of us uh, give to you, the listener, uh, two albums you should own, five songs you need to hear from our artist today, of course, Radiohead. And we open things up for, uh, first for our guest, Molly Ball. Your two albums and five songs, please.
2: Uh this was so hard for me. Uh, I just want everyone to appreciate uh, how much I labored over trying to pick. Um, but so I think uh, I think my two albums would be in rainbows and the bends. Um, I I I don't know. I wanted to include almost all of them, but if I'm being honest with myself, those are the two that I would take with me to the proverbial desert island. Um, and for and for five th- five songs, this is going to be very heavy on early stuff. That's kind of my bias, but I would say, um, well, so I'm still, I still can't decide whether to include India Rubber, a song that we didn't talk about on Old b side, but uh, one that I just really like because it's, it's it's got this loopiness to it. But anyway, I think I'm going to go with um, Talk Show Host, Videotape, Lucky, Punch Drunk, Love Six Day Long, and Just.
0: Um, my two albums uh, give you OK Computer, and the second one, I really went back and forth among a t- couple of different possibilities. Uh, in the end, though, um, I'm going to say uh, The Bens. And among the songs, uh, Just, which Molly picked from uh, from The Bens, uh, Paranoid Android is just such a killer song. Uh, Morning Bell, which I praised earlier in the show. Um, I really like Codex. I-, I think that one is on the list. And then uh, From In Rainbows, Jig- Jigsaw Falling Into Place. Um those are my five. Jeff.
1: <laughs> oh, God. How am I ever supposed to be able to do this? Um, okay. Two albums. That part actually isn't hard for me. It'll be Kid A and In Rainbows. I mean, Kid A is the album where they changed the game, where they ducked their fame and somehow managed to survive as a band by taking a left turn that somehow that somehow remained faithful to the core of what Radiohead actually was. And then In Rainbows was the unexpected late career revival that that, that I just could not believe you know in my ears was happening i was just so grateful and amazed that they still had it within them to put out an a-plus record after all those years my five songs oh christ um i don't know let's say black star from the bends i've talked about that one i think that's a beautiful song if i'm going to pick one song from OK computer it will remain let down i think let down is really the key track from that one uh in limbo from kid a a song we didn't really talk about song that i love so much because it's actually a structurally normal song that's recorded in such a way that all that it it sounds again like its theme like you know i'm lost at sea don't bother me and the song sounds like you know a, a piece of music all of whose component parts have somehow become untethered from one another and are bobbing away like buoys on the sea it sounds like you're floating in an ocean um cut tooth the B-side of Knives Out that was supposed to be on Amnesiac but was dropped at the last second. Already mentioned why I love that song so much. Reckoner my fifth song that's the greatest Radiohead song of all time uh, Dancing for Your Pleasure I love everything about Reckoner I love the fact that it's so unabashedly beautiful it doesn't compromise in any way with the listener's expectations and yet it it never at any point lets the listener down and I guess you know since I can do this I'll I'll mention a sixth song and I'll say Spectre if I'm going to choose one from their most recent recording sessions I think Spectre is just a masterpiece and I really hope that people get a chance to hear it and they might not because it's not on the record itself
3: possess
0: Here we go. The Political Beats look at Radiohead, which we just, I mean, never thought it would happen. And Here we are. Yes, uh, it did. <laughs> 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 uh, we, thank our, yeah, we thank our guest, uh, Molly Ball. She's national political correspondent for Time and a CNN political analyst. Find her on Twitter at molly Esk. Molly, thank you so much for joining us on Political Beats.
2: Thank you so much for having
0: me. Molly, thank you. Jeff, a uh, fine job as always. I hope I, I hope you lived up to your own expectations.
1: I probably didn't,
0: but I still can't believe that we actually
1: did this. We did it. We did a Radiohead episode. My God.
0: <laughs> uh, you can find Jeff on Twitter at Esoteric CD and ping him with other Radiohead thoughts, of course. Uh, my name is Scott Bertram. Find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. Remember, subscribe to our feed for new episodes coming through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. Tune in. Go right to nationalreview.com and you can find our episodes there as well. Listen, enjoy, share, leave reviews. This has been a presentation of National Review. This is Political Beats.